Welcome to another figure week, park surface week, organic week. Hey everybody and welcome back to Digital Artcast. Um, thanks for tuning in again to another episode. Um, and again, uh, as I always say with these episodes during the pandemic, hope you guys are keeping safe and busy with whatever projects you're working on at the moment. Um, great response to everything we've had recently with the episodes going out. Um, of course, last with, uh, with guys like Mark, uh, Joe and other guys we've had on. Um, a really great response in the chat and Discord and uh, your suggestions are definitely being noted uh, who when you guys are putting out uh, people you want to hear i'm definitely trying to hunt these guys down and get them on um so uh one thing we have had uh, a lot of uh, people asking if was a diversity outside of concept art and outside of 3d to some maybe niche disciplines or things that you know aren't seen as very common in the industry uh so uh, i've been on a mission for a long time and this artist finally got back to me um, so that we could actually have a chat and talk about his career and the things he's done in the industry. Maybe give you guys a wee idea into something else you can try out or other jobs that are available in the, the games industry. Um, so if you guys can welcome along today, my uh, my guest, um, Billy Garrison. Hey, Billy. What's going on? Yeah, thank you for uh, coming on the podcast and chatting with us. It's, it's an honor to have you on. Um Hopefully it's going to be a, a good conversation. Yeah, totally. Uh, I th- thought it was. Uh, I feel I feel honored uh, to be representing. <laughs> I think uh, a, I guess a less represented, uh, I guess faction of, of art, and uh, it would be in, in interface design, user interface design, user experience, graphic design, basically that whole yeah. world that isn't concept art and modeling. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the more kind of rock star stuff that uh, everybody kind of aims for when they first in the industry. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's the it's the cool kids, it's the cool kids club when you do all that kind of stuff. But you obviously have a very important role to play um, in games. And uh, so, so if people don't know you, Billy, if people don't know of your work or what you do specifically, could you run just like a short intro, just introduce yourself and what you do? Sure, uh, Billy Garrettson. I'm currently the UX design lead at Airship Syndicate. Uh, we recently shipped Darksiders Genesis. Before that, we shipped Battle Chasers Night War. Uh, I've been pretty much exclusively in uh, user interface and user experience design all, for almost 20 years now. Um, 
and we can get into how that ha- how that happened. But it, it, you know, I'm yeah. traditionally an artist. Uh, I, I went to I went to university um, to learn fine arts, and so I have a lot of you know fine arts mm-hmm. principles. Uh, but that definitely mm-hmm. was the springboard into interactive art and interactive uh, you know design um, and stuff like that. So yep. uh, I'm trying to think of you know any other big notable work before uh, art cra- uh, before airship syndicate i was at artcraft entertainment uh, i helped kickstart the crowfall mmo uh kickstarter that is still going today i think they're about to hit uh beta it's looking really good if, if anyone's interested in in like just how games are made you just look at the past five years you know take one every year take a different screenshot or a you know snapshot of of the game crowfall yeah. and you could just see the evolution of the ideas and how it's, it's just gotten so polished now um nice. but yeah but yeah uh yeah i'll say but you also uh, do uh, you also look at art uh, like kind of marvel and, and comic art and there's bits and pieces you've done for comics as well right sure yeah uh i think uh, i traditionally i don't sleep very much and i'm always busy uh, and when I can't, when I can't get that, you know, that illustration, that artistic itch out of my system at work, mm. I'll take it home with me, and you know, I'll, I'll collaborate uh, with like John Boy Myers, uh, Mike Bowden, uh, some other uh, comic dudes uh, who have really killer lines. And so, you know, I'm I'm training uh, again. I'm traditionally trained in painting, but I'm actually pretty new to digital painting. And so, I use mm. uh, other people's work as a great training tool to like, you know, okay, I don't have to focus on the subject matter because it's already kind of laid out. Now I can just focus on the rendering and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, a lot of my work, uh, is, you know, uh, goes into like the comics territory and stuff, which is actually my first love. Yeah. Um, yeah. Comic books, but yeah. So, I mean, we'll, we'll get into this too, but like illustrate, uh, user interface and user experience actually taps into, the artistic brain quite a bit, you know, um, it's still a visual mm-hmm. communication tool, even if it's not, you know, a character or like world building. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> it's interesting as well, because when I initially left my job, I mean, for me also comics was my first love. So we definitely share that. I think my first art book, you know, we, beforehand, before we recorded, me and Billy were geeking out and, and, uh, showing all our different art books and, and things we had in our bookcases. But, uh, my first art book was Jim Lee's Heroes or Icons, sorry, and uh, yeah, that that kept me uh, warm for many nights. Which I think, yeah, Billy's going to say like, "Oh, I've got that one too." Yeah, I've got the that, yes, that that's the one. That is, that's the one. That is the one. Yes, yes. Uh, but yeah, like because uh, yeah, because early on, I think it was also one of the the more popularized versions of illustration. Because even when I started, and I left my job. When I started looking at art or even working in games back in two thousand and Oh god 2008 concept art wasn't even a thing like it was a thing but it wasn't like a publicly seen thing you know it wasn't as in your face as it is now um so for a lot of people when they looked at drawn it was comics right so um but then i learned quickly how horribly those guys are treated <laughs> and how low they're paid so um i mean like some guys have great careers but it is i would say 10 times more difficult than breaking into games or movies. I think comics is a very... Saturation. I think, um, you know, the internet and Mm -hmm. digital technologies have made it to where it's democratized the industry in a lot of ways. You know, you don't have to go to fancy schools. Uh, You could just be talented and have um, a platform and an audience and it makes you viable. It makes you, you know, uh, it it can build, you could build a career just off of that. Um, Mm -hmm. But, uh, 
uh, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, I mean, touching on you saying like you know, concept art wasn't wasn't so much of a of an official thing. It kind of has become more of that. I mean, like that's that's user experience in a nutshell, especially in video games. Um, it's only recently been kind of a, a named necessity uh, of any uh, production is to have a user experience yeah. team and, and user experience is different than user interface. We could talk about that in a bit if you want, but, uh, but um, just kind of sharing some of the history of what resources were available for um, artists or designers who, you know, may have had the aptitude to do user experience. Like those courses didn't exist. I, I graduated college in 2004, though they didn't have even a user interface class at my art and design school, right. right? They didn't, and let alone user experience. Um, so those are concepts that have really become um, hardened and solidified over the past, I'd say probably decade, right? I think I, I think it's it, we're seeing a lot more in the past five years, but really it's the past decade is when you started having schools um, acknowledge mm -hmm. those particular ap like like uh, disciplines and create courses around them and having studios have those named roles and have qualifications for people who, you know, knew things about um, like, like humor, human interaction design and even human psychology, a lot of human psychology goes into user experience as well. Um, but yeah, so I think it's interesting, like you're talking about kind of having to learn, learn in like in the field, right? You, you learned illustration, you learn concepting and stuff just kind of by doing and mm -hmm. figuring it out without a lot of, you know, structured uh, teaching and stuff. I mean, the same thing with like, like UI, like, you know, a lot of what I know about UI right now is just from doing so much of it out in the wild. Right. And it's only now that I'm right, like, yeah. I'll read, I'll read an academic study. And I'm like, Oh, oh yeah, totally. That makes sense. Yeah. I've, I've been doing that for years, but yeah. now, I know, now, now I know what it's called. <laughs> I call yeah. it something else, right? It's got a name. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, like it's because yeah, because I'm interested as well because when I done when I left my job initially, there was no, especially where I'm from in Scotland, like in the UK in general, there wasn't a lot of games art courses. It was like you said, it was traditionally fine art, painting, illustration, um, atelier skills, stuff like that. But then the thing I actually gravitated towards and I found it was the most interesting through the course I done was I ended up going to what they called at the time a visual communication course. So I done graphic design for two and a half years and basically built logos and banner pages and books and advertisement. And um, then I went into 3D design and done 3D at university. But like the visual communication stuff is something I've like, there's a, there's a really awesome designer that I've followed for many, many years called is Aaron James Draplin, Draplin um, who is a graphic designer out in, I think in Pennsylvania. Um, and he like, kind of he's wrote a few books on on one of them's called drap on design theory and it's all about graphic design and shapes and logos and the thing i loved about him was he was trying to rebrand and re or bring back old um vintage logos and stuff that was on like truckers uniforms for like 20 years ago so he would go what he called scrapping so he would drive through all these uh scrap sales and people's basements and find logos from like 20 30 years ago like industrial logos and then take all those designs and try and rebrand them into modern stuff because he felt like there was too much abstractness or too much modern stuff that wasn't really meeting the facilitation of logos, especially for corporations. So he was like trying to go back and find the stuff that worked like 40 years ago and then reuse it. Um, 
So like I think graphic design in a sense is now coming back in a wave that hasn't been for, you know, since like one of the industrial revolutions, well, right? You said, you know, talking about visual communication and graphic de- and graphic design, like that that is that is essentially the what has become user experience in a lot in a lot of ways or it's evolved into like, you know, a track that that that's what user experience really is. It's like, you know, it's um it's communicating, you know, uh, thoughts and feelings it's it's driving player you know it's, it's basically creating expectation when you look at a logo or a brand which i've done plenty of mm-hmm. you know a lot of times you know mm-hmm. the first thing i'll ask uh, uh the client or the collaborator i say hey man give, give me what, what are the three things that really define this thing like like and it could be emotions it could be whatever like what three attributes and so the the you know it could be like it needs to be strong it needs to look bespoke, yeah. like handmade, like it does. It can't look tooled or mm-hmm. machine made, right? Uh, and it needs to look like right. it's uh, sturdy, right? You just kind of come up with these words that, like, you know, they could be fluff, but 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 it's enough to be like, okay, cool. Those are things that I can put into this logo, so that when you look at it as a as a viewer, you yeah. have an expectation. Oh, this is going to be scary. Oh, this could be exciting. Oh, this is going to be pretty dry. This is like a law firm. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, there, there's a certain right. expectation that has to be built up front. Otherwise, when they walk through the door, when they pop in the disc, when they open up the book, if it doesn't match the promise of the front, right. Uh, of, of, of the signage, then there's disappointment or there's conflict. And then from there, people have a bad experience. So I actually think like branding in a lot of ways and visual communication, it really is the cornerstone of, of a lot of uh, interface uh, because interfaces are nothing but just like just bombarding you with information. And the, that, the, the role of that information is to help you make the next choice so that you can continue to have fun. So you can continue to have a good time or a reward loop or something like that. Like the interface can't get in the way. And so people who are really good at, at interface um, are people who are usually really good at like page layout, you know, like publication page layout with and, and, and iconography, people who know how to sum up a big idea into one tiny little glyph um so yeah, yeah so i think all those skill sets that used to be just bucketed into the school of visual arts right or visual communication oh you're a graphic designer now it's become a lot more granular right you do have people who are visual graphic designers and now you have people who are visual interface designers right maybe they're not the ones driving a lot of the uh user flows but they know that this screen has to have these components and I'm going to make it really pretty. Okay, cool. It's a, it's a, it's a bejeweled styled game. So I'm going to make everything look really gemmy and, and super duper gilded. Right. And so, you know, this is where that dedicated role of the user experience person, the designer is now defined. Right. So a, a user, uh, a user interface artist is a, is the one who kind of takes it to full and makes it a really pleasing an engaging um, uh, looking screen, for instance, right? The user experience yeah. person is the one who's trying to figure out what the screen's purpose is. Where does it fit in the overall flow of the game, right? Just take Bejeweled, for example, or like a, like a Candy Crush or something like that. Okay, cool. Start up the game. First thing I want to do, you know, click, click the big play button. Cool. The next thing, map. Oh, shit. Like, I need, I, look at all these nodes. I have to fill all these nodes out. And so it kind of creates this desire to progress, right? And then you hit a button and then now it's a match three game and now you're doing match three. And every once in a while you have to like Mm -hmm. pick power-ups and there's just all these elements to it. So a user experience person is the person who maps out 
every single one of those screens, right? If you, if you break every single feature into a screen, it's a moment that the player has to engage with the product, either to push OK or to make one of three choices or to slide gems for two minutes until the next screen comes up. We break down every single one of those screens. We have to understand the intent of every screen, right? Because every screen can't yeah. be the coolest, sexiest screen. Then the player won't understand the value of what they're doing, right? So, you know, you break down. Oh, this is yeah. just a comp this is a confirmation screen, right? So this mm -hmm. user interface artist, right? Like, downplay this one. This one's very simple. This is just a yes/no choice, right? Mm -hmm. This next screen. Right. This is where you choose what your reward box is going to be. So this is like a destination screen. You're going to get to the screen and you're going to take your time because ooh, you're going to nail bite. Which one's it going to be? You know. So so if you notice there. Nothing about what I just described has anything to do with art, right? It's completely right. about emotion and psychology and intent. Like, what is the play? Like, you're basically breaking down the whole experience into an um, like an emotional story. From the moment you click play to the moment you shut the game down, the user experience designer is basically tracking your time and trying to balance it in a way that it makes sense and it feels uh, natural and organic, right? The worst games are the ones where you're like, you're on a roll and then a screen comes up that completely wrecks the momentum that you've, that you've built as a player yeah. emotionally, right? Yeah. You're like, oh, I'm about to hit this thing. Oh, confirmation pop-up. What the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, you don't want that reaction. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so anyways, um, obviously, I'm, I, I, I get excited about this stuff because when I when I think of a game, yeah, especially yeah. as an emotional experience or as a uh, as a string yeah. as a string of emotions that crescendo and have a payoff, uh, I get excited about that because that's what I like to build. You know what I mean? And so, and that's that's what user experience really is. It's 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 understanding the big picture. And how we get from point to point to point, and then we can define that, mm -hmm. and then hand it off to the user interface artist to then flesh out and make the product. Right? They basically add mm -hmm. all the bells and whistles that all work towards the goal of okay, you know, like this is a rewarding screen. We need to make the player feel really good here, so it needs, mm -hmm. you know, 10x the amount of animation and sparkles from the particle effects. Right? Uh, versus yeah. this is a very this is this is basically a EULA screen. So zero fanfare, readability, big confirm button at the bottom. That's all it has to be, right? So you know those requirements are given over to the user interface artist, and the art, the artist makes it really awesome. I happen to be both mm. right now, um, and actually right. that's something that that is very typical from the people that I work with and the people I've met. Is uh, it's hard to do one without also at least having the aptitude to do the other. Like you have UI artists that are actually right. really, really good at wireframing and building out user flows. Mm -hmm. And you've got UX designers who are actually really good artists, right? And so I, I've been able to bridge the gap over my career, you know, kind of focusing in the art world first, but you know, you build enough interfaces and eventually you're like, you, you get how the flows are supposed to go. And then you start to have your own ideas about how to make it a better experience. And then boom, you're, an, a UX designer at that point, right? So, yeah, yeah. Ho I mean, like, with, hopefully with that breakdown was was easy enough to follow. Like, you know, do, do you get like, yeah, you yeah, one hundred percent, cool. Yeah, I was I was just going to say with with you with with starting with projects as well. Does everything really begin with you and a dotted sketchbook with a flowchart? Is that how you can initially build your ideas? 
I think just like every artist illustrator is different mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. how they start, right. you know, yep. um, <clears throat> what you just described is how a lot of people uh, approach UX. They, they think of the big picture and they think of like, you know, uh, I know I'm going to have a level up screen. I know I'm going to have a, a skill tree. I know I'm going to have a this. And so they just really start to just kind of pencil out, you know, the stub in those screens and figure out how it all connects into a big picture. I, I go the other way around, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, because uh, okay. like most times I need, like I'll take a, a uh, let, let's say in, in Battle Chasers, for instance, right? Um, when I was brought on to Battle Chasers, uh, I was brought on to start working on the combat HUD uh, because it was just like, hey, you know, come in and, and kind of spruce up the combat HUD. We need to make an E3 demo. It was going to be a really short thing, right? Mm-hmm. So rather than, you know, really, really break it down into a bunch of granular detail, I just took a screenshot of, of combat and I just I just worked on top. I essentially went to full quality art and I dreamed what, what it was going to look like. Same thing with like, you know, the crafting okay. screens and all that kind of stuff. I needed to play it. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is a personal thing. I'm not saying like this is the way to make interface and this is the way to approach UX. But the way that I make games, if I can look at a screen and I'm already playing it in my head, there's there's a get it factor. Mm -hmm. It's like I already know. Oh, I know how I got here. You know, this is a slide out panel. This panel slid out after I talked to this NPC. And, you know, like a lot of the pieces and this how it stitches together, it kind of happens naturally. But it, for me, it always starts with I need to play the game in my head. I need to look at this static screen, and it, it's already a game in my mind, right? And for some people, they can they can go wireframe. I can do that, but I've also worked with enough. I've also collaborated with enough people who don't have the gift of being able to look at a, at a you know a napkin drawing and know that it's going to be an amazing painting. Like I have to take it to full in order not just for myself to see the game, but for other people to see the game as well. So that's what I typically do. I'll, I'll get an idea. I, it's not even a concrete idea. Like on, on a lot of our new games and stuff, a lot of times stuff gets thrown my way. It's like, hey, we're thinking about having this type of feature. And that's it. And then I just kind of make something up right. that looks like yeah. the game we're building. And everyone looks at it and says, dude, that is like 50% there. Sometimes it's 90% there. Those are good days, right? Yeah. But but you know, even 50% there is enough to know, okay, cool. Like this stuff works, this stuff doesn't, but now we can trash that 50 and then refine it mm-hmm. until it's 100% what we're going to build. Right? So, yeah, it's right. it's it's a little different, but I actually think that I approach UX the way that like a sculptor or an illustrator would approach their work is, you know, you mm-hmm. kind of build up in layers. You build up in layers, you build up in layers, you know, and then it just kind of forms, you know what I mean? Like it's a really organic process. And I hate to, I hate to sound like, like it, it is an academic process too. Some people really, really approach it academically mm-hmm. and, they, and they're a lot more mathematical and scientific about how they design games. But um, I think maybe it's just the way my brain works. I, I came from the art world first and I became a UX guy. Right. So I approach the process very much like I would any other piece of art. Yeah, I think it's interesting as well with you where, <clears throat> especially in, in Airship, because they have that stylized aesthetic, is that, you know, you can not only wireframe something or build out a, a, a user experience, but you can also almost hand illustrate, or what you do, hand illustrate those icons to an aesthetic level that, you know, like a graphic designer possibly wouldn't or couldn't do, you know, beyond 
you know, simple shapes in Illustrator, you're physically painting, you know, rock textures, you know, lava textures, stuff that is sitting flown out of the icon. Is that something you think makes you or other people would make them stand above and beyond other UI UX designers if they can do that or do both? I mean, I, I think it really depends on the studio um, because right, someone yeah. someone who is a fantastic illustrator may be completely underutilized or out of place working on a game like, let's say, like Call of Duty uh, and mm. it's like Battle Royale, you know, which is very, it's very modern, it's very clean. Uh, or hell, mm. even Destiny. You know, mm-hmm. like Destiny. Mm-hmm. Destiny has a lot of texture and depth to the to the images, but it's not. It doesn't look hand hand drawn or illustrated. It's very machined and and, and intentionally, right? Yes. It's, it's a sci fi, very yeah. decadent sci fi game. So it's not meant to look ragtag and rickety and stuff. That, that's that's also. I mean, again, <clears throat> if you're going to work for a company, I mean, it, it is a true marriage of of what you're bringing to the table and what what the company needs and 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 what you know what their style is. You know, my style matches the style of airship. You know, I like stuff that looks almost like comic-y. Like I come from like my background is in comics and that's what I wanted to do. I got into games. We can go, we can tell that story in a bit if you want, but like um, I came into games completely haphazardly. I did. I I never expected to be in games. I I wanted to be a comics artist. And so I approach everything Mm -hmm. kind of in that kind of handmade, you know, again, bespoke, uh, boutique, you know, way like you know, you want to see the artist's hand in the game. Like the minute that we put out a game that looks generic, like that's the day airship dies. And and luckily, you know, we're just tripling down on things looking airshipy, uh, if that's a word. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I think um, at airship, all of our UX UI guys are strong illustrators. Um, I think at any other studio, that would not be a requirement. I think I think being a good graphic designer, being a good vector artist, um, but but really I think other other studios it would just be enough to be a good uh, information layout designer. Like, hey, I, I came from magazines, but now I have a job in UX because uh, I'm really good at information layout. Because when you look at my stuff, you know exactly where your eyes supposed to go. You know exactly how to read it. Like that stuff is crazy valuable. Um, I think again, all my guys have that skill as well. Um, Mm-hmm. But I, I wouldn't say it's a requirement. If anyone's watching that, like, thinks, "Oh man, you know, uh, I'm really not. A, I'm not a painter. Uh, I guess I really can't do this job." Mm. That's not at all a requirement. Um, mm. And and yeah. dude, it's it's a team effort. Like, if you can't mm. draw, that's dude, that's fine. Like, other people can. Like, it's and, and be okay with that. Like, it's okay if you're you might be weak in something that someone else can like pick up the slack on. And guess what? That's how collaborations form. That's how good strong teams are formed. Is when people lean on each other's. You know superpowers right yeah 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 i mean it's a thing as well i think especially like in bigger studios right um you would probably typically have in a massive studio maybe three four hundred people the ui guys would obviously build the layout and the the ux stuff but then they would pass that off to art to make icons or buttons or or other stuff that's if it needs to be illustrated or more arty um but then it's a thing as well where you're in a unique situation with Airship where you guys are, uh, I say a small team, you know, relatively small um, compared to massive studios. Um, but then it's like, yeah, I think it also builds off the fact that it's a weird thing I try to talk to students about is like, it's the fit, right? Like students and, and people think that it's an impossible task to get a, a, a job in games, but it really is 90% of the fact is that you have to find a studio that fits you as an artist, right? Your style, your aesthetic, what you love doing, 
that's one thing that like is can take us just as long to find as a studio that fits around you as well. Sure. Yeah, you know, and 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 it's it's a journey, you know. I mean, like I feel like mm-hmm. it's taken me twenty years to find my home in 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 this right. industry. Um, and, uh, for some people, you know, I mean, like, especially like young people in their careers, they, they, they get really distraught when their first job isn't the dream job. And it could even be at a dream. The worst is when it's at a dream studio, but it's not the dream job, right? It's like a, it's like a a double, a double disconnect. Um, I'm not saying like you have to like suffer for like a bunch of years before you get your due. Like it's not that at all. I mean like mm-hmm. work hard, build good relationships, and good things tend to happen. Is it's, it's I mean I don't mean to oversimplify you know the path, but like it really it really boils down yeah. to that that common base is you know yep. just being in the industry is 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 lucky because there's so many people. It's getting more and more competitive, right? There's so many people that want that job, yeah, yeah. and you're in. Even if it's not like mm-hmm. the the lead concept artist, or like okay, I'm I'm not I'm not concepting characters like I wanted to, you know, like I'm and I'm really good right, at that. Yeah. I have all this, all these like fan arts and studies of like League of Legends characters. Like I'm really good at that thing, mm-hmm. but all they want me to do is mm-hmm. do rocks and foliage, yeah. and I can, I can do that, yeah. but it's not what I love. It's not mm-hmm. my passion. Like if you can show that company that you're just as good at rocks and foliage and have a good attitude mm-hmm. about it guess what's going to happen they're going to they're going to start giving you character work when, when and a lot of times it has to happen where it's spillover work when the other guys can't handle it yeah, yeah. guess what you get to be you mm-hmm. get to be the hero you get to have this opportunity and it's funny those guys draw characters day in day out to the point where people don't even talk about it anymore. It's not impressive anymore. And all of a sudden, you get to be the, oh yeah. my God, did you know the Rocks and Foliage guy just did a badass character? Can you believe that? And all of a sudden, you're a character guy. Like, it's yeah. just, there is a there is a clean, organic progression that happens in a career if you're willing to put in the time mm-hmm. and dedication, right? A lot, I think a lot of folks rob themselves from having success because they're, they're impatient or they don't let it come to them. They, mm-hmm. they, they try to bring it to them forcefully and it creates friction and it, and it actually hurts relationships and that's when you know people lose hope that there's a future for them in a studio and then that's when they move on um i definitely think that the 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 true path to success in this industry probably others you know but my all my history is here uh in games mm-hmm. is relationships if people can vouch for you it's so it's so amazing mm-hmm. people love to work with the same people if they're good people and talented and 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 they're just cool like you know you spend so much time in a room making a game with with the same people day in day out that if you don't like those people and you move on it's you're not going to recommend those other people to come with you you know what i mean and so uh almost everything that i've done like my first job i was just like i just cold applied uh for the first studio i worked for it was a casino gaming company like fresh out of college. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Every other job after that came to me from a recommendation. Like someone said, hey, you know, uh, there's a thing right. that I that I want you to consider. Basically, I, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's not meant to be like a humble brag or anything. It's just like, I just feel like it's just the proof point. No, no. Like you, if you get a reputation yeah. for being good at what you do. Also, by the way, talent is is just completely a given. Like if you're in this industry, no one's going to gush about your talent because they expect you to be talented. 
everyone's talented. That that's what's cool about it, right? It's like we're all like basketball players yeah, playing yeah. basketball together, right? Like it's just like we're all kind of using our skill sets in mm. cool ways to make cool products. So you know, don't focus on you know, be talented. That that that's a given, right? But like, be cool to work with, man. Like, don't make it all about you. Celebrate other people's accomplishments, and they'll celebrate yours. And build a reputation for being a dependable person who's level-headed, who isn't selfish, who isn't self-centered and all that kind of stuff. And guess what? People want to work with you. They want to keep working with you. And you may move on somewhere and you might be able to recommend someone. Someone else might move somewhere that you want to be and they recommend you and then they pull you along. Like it's so much easier to succeed when you have other people who care about your success. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's... Definitely something I've learned because, you know, like I say, I don't have a, a stellar foothold in the industry right now, but then a lot of people like having me around mostly because I'm easier to get on with and people can have a conversation with me. So it just means that when the talent eventually catches up and I have the portfolio or the body of work, then it might be a little bit easier for me to find work because I know people and I know I've built a relationship. So I think that's the one thing that I found when I was leaving university was a struggle for a lot of students was was building those connections, was building those relationships, going to events, meeting people, talking to art directors. Um, a lot of people expect you just to sit online constantly and, and put stuff out and then eventually... I mean, you can do that also. You can put a ton of work out online and still get work, but then building relationships, I think, is so important. I mean, then you talked about like your first set of jobs because obviously now you're at Airship. You didn't start Airship, right? So what was your first experience in the game industry starting off? Actually, it, it was... In college, I was 19. Um, like I said, I, uh, I, w- I wanted to be a comics artist. I was following guys like Trent Cunuga and uh, Joe Mad, guys, guys who were uh, really young uh, and, mm-hmm. and kind of made a name for themselves while they were really young. And I, I kind of, mm-hmm. I wanted to be that guy too. I wanted to be like that really young, you know, hot, hot artist. Uh, dude, my, my town, my, my illustration ability at that time was nowhere mm-hmm. like it, it, it's 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 bad I'm, I'm embarrassed to even say like that was my motivation was to be like <laughs> those guys when i was so so far out of their league but it was a motivation or at the very least it was a it was a direction i wanted to head i wanted to be a, a comics artist and so i got accepted right. to the university of texas which is a pretty prestigious school here in texas i i actually got accepted to other schools that were better art schools for what i wanted to do but mm-hmm. because of the prestige of ut i went to ut instead um and right. I, uh, I either loved it a lot or I hated it a lot because I went into a five-year art program, but I graduated in three. Every summer, every Christmas, whatever, anytime I could take extra classes, I did. And, and I just, I just nice. worked my ass off to get out of college. Because I, I, I mean, I love school. I love learning. But I hated the amount of work I had to do, and I didn't get paid for it. You know what I mean? Like, it was just one of these things, like, I could mm. be working this hard and actually making money and getting on with my life. So... Uh, I just wanted to get out really quickly, um, but I was in the middle of a fine arts program, so I was learning, uh, you know, life drawing, uh, illustration, painting, uh, lithography. But just as a fun little, hey, this sounds interesting. There was a videography class, like a transmedia class, that was like, okay, cool, we're actually gonna like it's 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 art, but it's you know we're gonna use cameras, we're gonna use After Effects, we're gonna use all sorts of like digital technologies to make to make interesting art, you know. Uh, and that was actually the first time, I mean, shit, that was the first time I ever even used a Wacom tablet. You know, um, I was completely non-digital in my art at all. So it was the first time I used a Wacom tablet, first time I ever had any Adobe product open in front of me. And it was just like, you know, 
a whole new world, you know, kid in a candy shop. I just felt like, oh my God, so many more tools for expression. And I'm a dabbler. Like I like tools. Like I, 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 I compose music and I like would compose, you know, stuff in like, you know, cakewalk and like fruity loops and stuff like that. So like, I, I like tinkering in a program. I, I 3d model like Max and stuff. So like, you know, I like learning new programs. And so the Adobe stuff came my way. I'm like, oh my God. Right. So, sorry. So that was an introduction into that world of like, you know, yeah. digital art and animation, right? Because with, with in, in this uh, video art class, uh, I learned motion graphics and stuff using After Effects, right? So that was a little bit of a foot in the door of like just getting a taste of that tool set, right? I'm still an illustrator. I'm still like, right. my goals are not that, right? That was really just like a, it seemed like an easy three hours credit that I could get, right? Uh, and it was, and it was, but the real value there was introduction into the tools. A year later, Right, I'm 19 at this point. My some of my best friends who are also in college with me, uh, they went the programming route, right? And they say, "Hey, we want to develop a, a, a video game for the Pocket PC, right? The hot, the hot mobile product, Pocket PC. Oh my God, like no one had Pocket <laughs> PCs, but they were just hot on this idea of like, dude, there's like, we don't have to have dev kits. We don't. Basically, it was like the reason why a lot of people do iPhone development now is because it's like they don't have restrictions like they have. Uh, before right. where you're like you had to have a dev kit you had to have a certain amount of you know uh equity in your company in order to be a licensee for like nintendo or sony or right. whatever right so but pocket pc was like this open you know it was the iphone before the iphone and they wanted to make a, a video yeah, game yeah. they were making a platformer engine also by the way this is before unity this is before uh i mean i think even before like torque if anyone if you're familiar with the torque engine uh by garage games oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, this is before all that stuff was available to us. So um, we just, they made an engine. They made a tile editor. They made an importing tool that could take, you know, a bitmap sprite sheet of a character animated into their engine mm -hmm. and make things move. Like they basically, they their, their experiment was, can we make an engine? Can we make a video game from it? The video game is the proof point of the engine and technology that they were building and they had no content. Right. They had no artists. They had no. They didn't even have a design for the game, like a story. They didn't. So they just said, "Hey, you know, Bill, you're an artist. What What do you think, right?" And I just, you know, without really thinking about, it, I'm like, "Yeah, cool. I'll do it." First thing I did, I put together a design document. It was basically just ten pages of just doodles of like different characters and different levels, and it was just a rip off of Ninja Gaiden. Uh, it was just, it was basically like <laughs> if you know Ninja Gaiden, Mega Man, that type of platformer. And, but I had sketches of like, okay, this is what the level tiles will look like. And, and I, I, but it was all by hand. It was all, you know, I just me in a sketchbook kind of designing out what this game was going to be. Mm -hmm. Again, I had no expectation for what this thing was going to become. I had no, no idea what I was even in for. I just started. I just, mm -hmm. I had the opportunity and I said, sure, why not? That's, a, I love video games. It's not what I'm going to do, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll it's an outlet for my art. That's all I thought of. It's an outlet for my, yes. cause I'm like, cool, this illustration of this character, especially in the dialogue. Like that's all I cared about. Cool character art. But I committed yeah. to this thing and I had to learn how to do pixel sprites for not even just, you know, sprite art. Like I had to learn how to technically make tile sets that could join up and, and build worlds with it. And, and I was the level builder. I designed yeah. the levels. I designed the tile sets. I designed the characters. I had to do all the sprite art for the characters and the animation cycles and everything like that. And, you know, I didn't wow. have yeah. optimized tools for this. So I, I did it. It probably took me five times longer than it should have just because I was also learning how to do 
pixel art in Photoshop and, and build sprite sheets, you know, and anyone who's built a sprite sheet knows, right. Hey, if you're just one pixel off, your little animation will start to jitter and shift. And there was all sorts of learning anyway. So this whole process took about a year, year and a half. Definitely. Uh, so, uh, by the time I graduated college, we had shipped this game. So we set out to do this thing and we succeeded. We, we finished and shipped the game. It was, uh, in like a magazine, right? It got, uh, Pocket PC's action game of 2003. It's a game called Blade of Betrayal. So bad. Um, nice. So cliche too. But like, you know, at the very least, it was like, we got some positive reinforcement. You know, even if our game was was a crappy game by any, you know, modern standard, um, mm. someone recognized it, right? And it felt good. It felt good to like make something and share something. And so, you know, it created this new interest and new desire to work in games. I, I pretty much abandoned my comic book uh, endeavors like cold right. Turkey, just because I'm like, dude, it was so satisfying. Like it was so much effort and it was so hard and a lot of, a lot of sacrifice nights. I could have been partying. I could have been doing this in college. You know, I, I could have been doing so many other things, but I chose to tinker and learn something and, you know, it was funny because I didn't learn anything from the classes that I end up doing today. Like, it's all kind of discovery through doing this this game project. And just just like that, I just decided, hey, man, like, I think video games is where it's at because I get to do art. I get to do all the things that I like to do. But then I also get to do with other people. That was the big thing. Like, in comics, uh, you know, it is a team, right? If you if you really break it down to the traditional roles of like a penciler, an inker, a colorist, etc., uh, editors, like it's a collaborative team, but it is it's it's a lot more focused and individualized, I think. Uh, whereas in games, uh, you might have some individual moments in a product, but like it's largely the culmination of everyone working together. And so, I just love that. I I, I became that guy. I, I learned that about myself, right? That I like being on a team. Being being cool and recognized as an individual like that that that's awesome too. But then I got to feel what it's like yeah. to share that feeling with other people, and it felt better. It definitely felt better to to share the success. And so, uh, but at the time in Austin, you know, I graduated. I had made no leads in video games or whatever, and I thought I thought, oh well, I've shipped a game. This is going to be impressive. You know, and at the time, Acclaim was still a company and we had like Origin and, and, you know, we, we had some, some, some cool companies here in town, but no one was impressed by my pocket PC game. So um, I took the first game job I could and that, that ended up being in casino games. Uh, at the time, it was called Multimedia Games. Now it's called Every Technologies, but uh, it's still here. Huge company, huge, big, one of the biggest companies you've never heard of uh, in gaming. But uh, right. it's like real deal casino games, not like online Facebook casino games like Zanga or whatever. It's 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 like actual physical cabinets. And uh, yep. and what's interesting is, um, you know, I thought, OK, I'll just do this for a couple months. And I'll just keep applying to other jobs while I while I do this for just money for now. And I'll I'll do something. Right. I was there for seven years. I, I ended up falling in love with it almost immediately because outside of like eh, casino games aren't that sexy, you know. But right. to be honest, I actually think a lot of people I've met, like that's how they got their start. They worked in casino games. Casino games aren't sexy, but they're there. They're, there's an opportunity for your career in casino games, you know, uh, especially as, a, as, a, as an artist, because every game, think about it this way. Every game is like a whole different world. Every new game 
oh, I'm doing a game about the Aztecs now. I'm doing a game now about, you know, uh, uh, pirates. I'm doing a game that takes place in Atlantis. I'm doing a game that, you know, all the themes of these games go across the entire spectrum. And if you think about as an artist in training, that is the best and fastest way to get better and to learn different techniques. At this point now, I can render any material. Like I can make any material look like what it's satin, you know, uh, scaly material, chrome, brushed steel. You know what I mean? Like you just learn how to make all those materials because the themes require it. Um, But more than anything else, like casino games are essentially all interface. You know, you don't think about it that much, right? right? But like when you're looking at a casino game screen, it's nothing but interface. So sorry, this is a very long roundabout way to say like how I even got into UI was no, no. First, I'm loving this, Billy. You, you talk as much as you want. <laughs> <laughs> that, that first job set the tone because um, yeah. I, I already got a taste of what it was like to use other skill sets outside of just illustration to make a video game. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. And but but in in my uh, my first game, it, it was not a it was not a very heavy menu driven game. Uh, it was it was very much all action was on the screen. So I designed a HUD like interface wise. It was really just a HUD and some level completion statistic screens. Uh, right. At at the casino game job, I mean, I had to learn all sorts of interfaces. I had to learn just your main game screen, which has the reels and the buttons at the bottom and like the you know your little meters and stuff. And then bonus games, and you had bonus games that are like picking games, bonus games that have spinning wheels, bonus games that have all sorts of different visual stimuli. And it can't, you know, and again, like, like, especially in a casino game, you're building a hierarchy of information because that's essentially what a pay table is. Like, oh, I'm not, I'm not excited about, you know, like, you know, three, you know, little frogs landing. But if I hit the golden frog, I know that one's more valuable, you know, just as a terrible example. But like everything yeah. about that screen that you're looking at top to bottom is information hierarchy, right? Now, yep. casino game players don't think about any of that, right? But when you're building a casino game, it's mm. ve- it's a very conscious, intentional design visually. And that visual design is constantly touching on UX and the emotional experience and stuff. And so it's interesting. Like, t- like I immediately devalued casino gaming before I worked in it, you know, because I'm like, oh, that's, that's shitty. That's a, that's a sin industry. It's not, there's no value in that. I'm going to be laughed out of my career, you know, but on the contrary, Mm -hmm. I actually think it was the rocket ship that got me to be a good UI guy and a UX guy better than any college course could have ever given me. Right. Because I was making something real. Um, but yeah, and I did that for seven years. And uh, I mean, uh, to the point where like, I, I mean, I got to be, I got to the point where I was designing games. I wasn't just given designs. I was right. going out there. I was, I, I was pitching, man. I was going into boardrooms with like the suits and everything like that. And I was pitching an idea and I was getting it approved. I, I got, I have a few patents. Like I have a few uh, patented innovations that, that some of these games uh, uh, afforded and like, you know, me and other Co- co-authors are on patent so it's like it's like i have so many good vibes about that first job but ultimately i um you know my heart really wasn't in casino gaming i wanted to make uh you know not it's so unfair to call them real games but like i wanted to make games that i could share with more people uh outside of just yeah. you know casino destination so i left that company and i actually stopped doing art 
for about five years because I left that company to go. I, uh, I was the uh, game manager and creative director of a, of a company called Game Salad. And it was a, it's a game engine that required no code. It was, it, you know, it's really cool engine. A lot of other engines do that, like a Construct and... Um, I want to say even Game Maker probably has some visual scripting components. But basically, I got so invested in the design and in the creation of games that I wanted to work at a company where like that was their thing. So I actually I led a game team where we put out games constantly using this engine, and we got to kind of like you know test new features and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, and um, it, it's just it's just interesting how you go from like being an artist to then, you know, leading other, other creative people. So that was interesting. And, you know, how you learn to separate yourself. Uh, Cause I, I mean, I, I missed it. I wasn't doing art for like five years, but I, I, I got jealous of like the other artists that did. Um, sorry. Yeah. Uh, really, really roundabout way to say like, you know, how it got back to like Artcraft entertainment on Crowfall and, and, and airship syndicate. Eventually I just knew that um, I think I, I, art, art was just something I wasn't going to give up. I think, uh, I mean, I could still, I'm still leading teams and stuff, but like, I'm, you know, in the situation where I can continue to contribute my art to the product and it's not, and it's not just, you know, wireframes and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things I wanted to circle around with, just with you, with you, um, with the points you made. One I wanted to talk about was, I think I think that comes across very common in a lot of students I talk to is what I call uh, decision paralysis, where they're so afraid of making a decision about what they want to focus on. And I'm very guilty of this. You never start, right? And you talk about like, you didn't just start, you rolled continuously until you just made a thousand things. So that's one part. And then the second part on top of that is my designer in, in visual development school told me that there is no boring projects, only boring designers. When you talk about like I worked in casino games and people would think it's this or that, is that you know it doesn't have to be a born experience. You make it born if you think it's born. If you're excited about what you do and excited about the project, then you'll bring that to the project to make it exciting. But if you approach something like you know like a logo for something that seems like oh my god, it's a you know it's like a law firm or whatever the fuck, yeah, it might be a law firm, but you can still make it jump. So those are the two like the fear paralysis and boring designers is something I think I picked out of the those two i think we talk about those a bit more especially the fear paralysis because i know you were shaking your head agreeing me with that that it's something you, it, you know that's very common i think you know it could still happen uh you know as your career progresses but really the first one's the, the hardest you know because you don't want to make a mistake mm -hmm. but you, i mean i think i think even labeling something a mistake is by placing expectations on something that i think are uh limiting Right. You say, Hey, mm. I, I mean, I've done this when I was, when I was young, I said, Hey man, by the time I'm 30, I'm going to be a millionaire, just some bullshit goal, you know, <laughs> like hell, I, yeah. I, I would have loved to have been a millionaire at 30, I'm sure. But even if I was a millionaire at 30, I'm, I bet you, I would have been a huge douchebag about it. You know what I mean? I actually like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I really enjoy how things are going right now. I think, I think things have landed really, really nicely in place, but you know, early on, you just haven't been around long enough to really know what success looks like. Um, and you, you might be right. You might you might set out to make that million dollars. You get your million dollars, and you and you feel great, and you're validated because you, you you knew it was possible, and you went out and you got it right. Hmm. But for a lot of people, that's just not realistic, right? Or, or saying, hey, you know, I, I, 
trust me, I have met many, many artists like this. If I don't work at Blizzard, I'm a failure. If I don't work at Riot, if I don't get to do a Hearthstone card, then I suck as an artist or I have failed or I've, you know, uh, or I'm not working hard enough, you know? And yeah, that, that is, I think uh, that's not a very, I mean, it's great to say, Hey, I would love to paint at the quality of a Hearthstone card. I would love to paint at the quality. Magic the Gathering, a lot of Magic the Gathering guys that, that really, really want to yes. do a, any kind of work for that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's a noble goal to, to, to want to, paint at that caliber right but then to then put this uh, this is the this is the, this is the thing right you can't control everything you can control what you do what you choose to do and how you choose to feel about what life throws at you right but you can't control if the hearthstone people uh contact you back in fact the more you yeah. push the more likely they won't contact you because they don't yeah. want to work with needy people like that right they they, they want to work with yeah, you know yeah. proven uh, you know, people who are accessible, people who are proven, and also people who aren't going to be trouble because they're running a business, right? Remember that this is a business. This is not built to put people, put you on a pedestal so that you can feel good about yourself. You need to learn how to feel good about yourself without that type of reward at the end. Uh, because guess what's going to happen? You might actually get to get contacted by the Hearthstone people and you're like, oh my God, I can't wait to draw, you know, like my favorite character. And they're going to ask you to draw a potion bottle. You know what I mean? And you have to be okay with like, like saying, Hey man, I got like, I'm in the ballpark of this, you know, this arbitrary goal I made, but I'm in the ballpark and like, dude, I'm recognized for my talent. Now, no, I didn't get to be the rock star that I was really hoping I could get to be, but like, it should still feel really satisfying. Like, like for instance, um, God, this is funny. Cause I, 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 I feel like I've gone through my own journey of doubt and, uh, and, and self value and stuff. This is good though. This is good stuff though. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, where a lot of this is coming from, you know, like I'm not just spouting off crap. I mean, I've, I've gone through this myself, right. Which is why I'm bringing it up. But like, yeah, like yeah. even, even, um, like I've done a lot of logo work uh, because you know part of part of the UI design and stuff that that put me on a path to be a, a good like for instance sorry I completely skipped over this like like you know I could make an entire career just on being a, a branding guy a logo guy and branding um, and I learned that at the casino game company too why because every single game and I made at least twelve unique games a year right unique IP every single game required IP development and it required a logo of bra- a full on developed logo. Right. And I learned how to be so efficient at making logos, you know, a lot of different tricks on how to like, you know, modify existing type or like, you know, uh, quick ways to like make your own custom type and stuff like that. So again, I didn't learn that in college. I didn't set out to learn that. It was a byproduct of being in the right place at the right time uh, where my art director, who was a, a former marketing guy who used to cut fonts out by hand with an exacto knife, like in the pre-digital era yeah, yeah, yeah. of typography, wow. like he showed me all this stuff again. Like I never knew that that I was going to learn that when I was looking at the job application of like eh, casino games, right? But look at all the value that mm-hmm. came because I took that leap, right? So yeah, so I I do logos all the time. Uh, I, one of my most frequent freelance, uh, requests is, is logo design. I did the logo for like the Netflix Castlevania, uh, a show just came out called Blood of Zeus, Seis Manos. Uh, I, I got to refactor the Darksiders logo. I've, I've just, I've touched a lot of different logos and stuff. 
And I'll say for a while there, I used to feel really bad because I'm like, yeah, that's that's my logo up there. But like someone else did that really badass key art, you know, like I started to feel <laughs> like 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 again, like the Hearthstone potion illustrator who really wants to, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, draw characters. Right. And, 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 you know, it took a while for me to like give myself perspective and be like, dude, like, no, like that everyone sees the logo too. That logo is actually more distributed than even the key art, you know, like that logo is, is key. It's pivotal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It isn't exact. Like I, I still, to this day would love to be the key art illustrator who wouldn't right? the key art is like super fun or like you know, ri- riot splash art. You know what I mean? It's so good. Um, but yeah, you, yeah. you learn, you learn to just like love that you get to play this sport and you get to be in the park with the rest of the, people playing this sport and no you may not be playing the position that you think you want but you're probably playing the position that makes the most sense and will bring you the most joy you know like i'm I'm telling you like you know if you just get out of your own way and kind of let things kind of organically happen you're probably going to find yourself in the right place for you and so it's it's uh i mean it's incredibly optimistic hopefully you know people don't call me out on, on how naive that sounds, but it it has been my experience. It has been my experience that, um, the best things have happened when I've gotten out of my way by removing arbitrary goals. Right. Cause you can't control being a hearthstone artist. You can control being a good painter and you can control communicating with other people in that community. Yes. If you get known for being a chill artist with talent, it kind of opens the door up for a lot of opportunities. But if you go out there knocking on the door, demanding to be let in, guess what? You're not. You know, it's 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 a hard discipline to learn. Yeah. I think, yeah, you've definitely touched on something I think even I've been through myself is the fact that, you know, Hearthstone is, and Magic and a lot of those and Riot are, are big tent poles for people to aim for or big targets and you know some of the most successful people i know or some of the happiest people i know in the industry work in smaller companies doing smaller projects but what they're happy about is they they get to be a creative and they get to be paid as a creative like their full-time job is i draw things and i get paid to do that they don't really care the fact that you know like if they got to work in hearthstone or something well that's great but they do get to be creative for a living and get paid for it so to them it's like well, I've already achieved it. I've already, you know, I've already got the thing I wanted. I wanted to be able to draw for a living and get paid for it. So that's already accomplished. It doesn't matter that I'm not working at Blizzard or Riot. It just matters that, you know, I get to get up every day and do the thing I love for a living. So it's like, it's the same for me when I was, when I initially got in the industry, I was like, oh, cool, you know, I want to work for Blizzard and Riot and other game companies. But then, yeah, along the way, because those aren't the first destinations for a lot of people, you know. Those are the jobs you get when you're in your forties and stuff like that. And of course, now you're in, you're in, you're in airship, you know. So like, you know, it's 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 a thing where like, you know, now people are like, oh, I'd love to work in airship. That's a dream for me. So, you know, everything's about perspective. I think it's just about framing your expectations and trying to be defining every day what success is for you. Right. That's definitely something, or kind of what you're trying to say. Well, also, you know. I, I think, I mean, at least for me personally, it, it's it's a double-edged sword. It's a bit of a trap to put your success on, again, like a specific creative target. Like, you know, oh, if I 
if if I if I die and I and I never did like a piece of key art for one of our products and I won't be happy. Like I think that's 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 a trap. It's bad. I mean, it's nice to go after things like that, but but you know, find again, find find happiness outside of the work too. Because sometimes the work, mm-hmm. even if it's great, I mean, here, here's here's the, here's the crazy thing. I worked on logos for big brands that I've been miserable at. Like, you know, I was not passionate about the brand. It was miserable to work with the client, you know, but I get to put it down on my resume and it looks really sexy to, you know, people who, who weren't part of the process. But in my mind, I, you know, right. the thing that the thing that other people would celebrate is something that's actually a, almost like a warning not to go down that path again. It's like, hey, value good clients, value good collaborators over the perception or prestige of the thing. Um, right. And it's nice. It's, 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 it's humbling. And it kind of, again, it, it, it makes you approachable. I think being approachable um, mm-hmm. opens up a lot, again, opens up a lot of doors. It doesn't mean you have to be agreeable with everything. It doesn't mean you have to be a pushover. Uh, but it does mean that, you know, like uh, people go out there and, and just, you know, they go out there and, and then they, they uh, project a lot of like restrictions. Uh, don't talk to me if you're, you know, if, if you're not going to, uh, agree with me on this political point, then fuck you. If you're not, if you don't like this, yeah. then blah, blah blah. If you play this game, then you have no taste. You know, people go out there and they they basically they they constantly push people away without even realizing. Right? They think they're defining their personal brand so that they only attract the audience that they want. But here's another thing about the audience, right? If you're trying to get a specific audience, they're not going to come. You have to just. I mean, ask any person who has a restaurant or a store. You have to build a place that's inviting and a place that people want to be at. Not, you know, sure, some places can get away with being so exclusive. Think of like a country club, but it's a douchebag place. Who wants to go to that, right? If you're you're making a place for people, you want to make it inviting. You want to take – almost take yourself out of it a little bit and just make it more of just like a place where we can, you know, have some common ground. Differences are fine, but that's, you know, we're here to form a community. And I think um, it's about opening doors, not shutting them. And I think I think that's also what allows people to then celebrate other people, right? If, if you're so self-centered and so concentrated on your own success, it makes it really, really hard to create opportunities for your own success because you aren't, again, focusing on other people around you who are also doing exciting things. Um, yeah. Hey man, I'm like, I'm like, man, this is funny. Like I feel, I mean, and we can keep talking about this too. I feel like we've turned into a self-help, <laughs> which is fine, man. I, I love, I actually, I actually, I, I listen to a lot of, uh, you know, motivational speakers and stuff uh, of different types too. I like to hear different points of view, uh, you know, because it gets you thinking, it gets you uh, reassessing and reevaluating where you are. And it also a lot of times leaves you feeling like, dude, things are pretty good. Things are okay. I think I think I'm bringing a lot of expectation and pressure to my career right now when it doesn't. Because oh, mm-hmm. you know, I meant to I meant to, to you know as a, as a, a continuation of like you know oh, I hated this one gig or whatever. Like guess what? You're going to go through periods of your career that aren't fun at all. Like it's going to be hard. Like it, it it isn't. You don't get to a place where and and it's funny. You, you know you um, you acknowledge airship. Uh, and my in my being there as as this triumph and it, it is it's a personal triumph uh, but at the same time you know it, it, it's still it's not something that like I feel like okay I've actually hit my destination and now life's done I can die happy I mean I, I, I could 
But like now I have now I have new goals. Yeah. It's just an eye-opening thing, you know, like you get to the place where you want to be and you don't change as a person. You don't. You you think, "Oh, I'm at Blizzard now, so I'm a great artist." Guess what? You were a great artist before you were yeah. at Blizzard. You know what I mean? You get to Blizzard and to be honest, 9 times out of 10, you get a little shell-shocked at how it's not at all what you thought it was going to be. Airship, you know, it's not yeah. it's not what I thought it was going to be in certain ways, but it's so much more than I expected in many, many other subtle ways. Um, and a lot of it comes from the fact that we're a, a small team. Everyone's highly motivated. Everyone's highly talented. And we're, it's a group of people who are not egotistical, right? And that, that comes from the top. Joe is one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. Uh, and he's very supportive. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't, you know, he's not like other creative directors that I've worked for that really make uh, make the product a lot about them and their spotlight. You know, in fact, uh, it's it's amazing to see how many times Joe steps out of the way to let someone else take the spotlight. Uh, and I think that's great, yeah. great, le- great leadership. I never would have expected that just considering what I had built him up to be from being a fan as a kid and being a, him being kind of a, a role model for what I wanted to be uh, going into my career. And you meet him and you're just like, it's nothing at all like what I expected, but it's so much better. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, you're going to go through periods of hardship. Things are going to be tough. It's not great all the time. And that's why you have to have a strong foundation of like, okay, cool. I'm not in this to get a thousand likes on my next piece that I post. I'm not in this to be a name. I'm in this to just work. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to train. I'm just going to spend this year. It's totally fine. If you know, everything I do flies under the radar, there's going to be a next year. There's going to, you know, it's just, it's, it's about, it's like I said, it's a marathon. It's about persevering. Right. And the people that I think can last the longest in this industry are the, are the ones who like, don't give up when things get slow or when things get hard or where you don't have that like social positive reinforcement loop. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people do. They, they post on Instagram every single day. And I bet you some of those people start to worry if like towards the end of the week, they see a downward, downward trend on engagement right. with their, with their pieces. And they start to really think that it's something they did. They really make it about themselves. Oh man, what am I doing wrong? Am I not cool anymore? What happened? Right. Remember, man, people have lives. You might have dropped some content on the week that some global disaster hit that you weren't really paying attention to. And people just don't have the time to look at Instagram for like, you know, like Mm -hmm. like they did the other day or like, you know, Disney just dropped a new show and everyone's talking about that right now. And, you know, or people doing the fan art chase. Oh, shit. I better do some Falcon and the Winter Soldier fan art because right now it's really hot. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's it's a trap. Yeah. Sometimes you have to be okay. I think it's with... also go for it. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just going to say. I, I think it's it's hard as well when you're in the position you're in as well because you you know maybe a part of that came from like you know when you were thinking about what's a success, what's not a success. It was probably because also you were doing UI as opposed to like you said you wanted to be the guy who was doing like the key splash art or stuff like that. Sure. Like I think. It's also a team effort where, like, I know I've experienced that in game jams. Like, recently when I've done these game jams where we've made, like, Calamity and Tomato Mayor, like, they won a bunch of awards. And it was funny because when I went to Lightbox and I was, you know, I was there with Raph and a couple of the guys with Sony Santa Monica, I was being, like, gushing, like, oh, you know, God of War was, like, one of my games in 2018. It was so incredible. I really, really loved it. And every time they were kind of like, yeah, man, like, it was a real team effort. Like, that whole studio is incredible. 
and you were kind of thinking to yourself at one point i was like ah you know they're giving the whole you know pr speech like oh you know it was a team effort but then when we were getting interviewed after we won a bunch of awards on tomato mare there was only three of us and people obviously first in those games always see the art right they always see the the, the things jumping about or the buildings people are like oh my god you know your, your art was so good and i won a bunch of awards for the art and I was like, look, man, you know, like my art is nothing in comparison to, you know, the coders who worked on it who made it actually move. Like if they didn't animate it and make the things work, then you'd just be looking at a bunch of boxes. And they were like, oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, it was a real team effort. And I caught myself saying it. So it's like, <laughs> even even though I was in one position, I still got to be part of the hurrah about the game. But it's the same with you, Airship, right? You know, you might think to yourself, oh, you know, I'm only the lead UI UX guy. But then... People are like, oh my god, you worked in Battle Chasers, you worked in Dark Siders, like, and Dark Siders has this huge legacy as well. So, well, you know, I'll also, you know I mean? I'll, uh, I'll say to you know, like, uh, anytime, anytime I, I, I fall into that trap of, of thinking, oh man, I'd be happier if I wasn't doing UI and UX and I was doing more of the concepts mm. or illustrating. Um, you know, I just remind myself, like, it's just like you said, you know, like my the art would be nothing without the animation or like the art really has no purpose if there's no context for it in the design of the product. Right. And so he, here's the thing that I didn't really touch on that much. Right. Like, I don't love UX mm-hmm. because I love UX, like just in and of itself. I think right. I think it's interesting. Like, I actually think like coming up yeah. with that again, like that emotional roller coaster of the, of the game experience. I think that's really it's cool and it's satisfying on its own, but the real motivation, the real reason why it is my career and it is the thing that defines a lot of my work, most of my work, is is how core UX is to the product like vision and and product uh, like like the metal. You know what I mean? Like like our modelers, mm. our environment guys, those guys are great. You know what I mean? But they're not designing. Yep, yep the systems they're not creating the role-playing game that's happening in the 2d space where i live you know and so yeah you know they're, they're creating all this great moment to moment content but i'm creating the glue that's holding it together and so that means i am on a daily basis i'm talking with all the leads i'm talking with the owners i'm talking with every almost every other discipline in the studio uh, about the different things that are going on because it all, again, it all ties into how the UX facilitates connecting the dots. And so mm-hmm. like there's so much influence and there's so much uh, gratification in being that facilitator that again, like it, it's hard to describe because no, or tell you what, hardly any other discipline has that type of uh, engagement with the other disciplines. Right. Um, you know, like like combat guys are going to talk to programmers because obviously, you know, the, those things happen in tandem. But those guys aren't always really talking to like the marketing people or the 3D modelers or you know even our production you know uh, staff. So so it's it really is it's, it, it's a point of privilege. I get to see a lot. I mean, basically, I get to see behind the curtain from day one. In fact, in fact, a lot of times I'm the guy doing the graphics for the pitch that we shoot off to publishers before the rest of the studio even knows that we've pitched something to publishers. You know what I mean? Like, like there's, there's a, a there's a, um, what's the word? There's an, a, there's a level of access I get as a UX designer that hardly any other person at the studio gets. And so that is the thing that has been really, really fun and enjoyable because it's almost like you get to be like in on like a little secret 
and you build up all this like anticipation for when it hits, when it gets revealed, whether internally to the team or externally to the to the uh, uh, consumers. Like it's just this pop of excitement because you were there every step of the way, and so it's super rewarding and satisfying. If I could say like you know yeah, it, it's cool making games but like you know i've been doing that uh, for so long that that doesn't have novelty anymore the thing that still really makes me excited about making games especially from the ux perspective is that collaboration and that closeness to the metal like there are times that like i'll get a design and i'll shoot out a mock-up of something that has something that wasn't in the design that everyone likes so much that it becomes part of the design and now i've etched my contribution into the core product henceforth right like it's it's incredibly satisfying so yeah i don't i don't mean to like say yeah i'm willing to take a second place ribbon because i'm not doing key art like i don't want that to be the sentiment here at all like like i i love having the first place ribbon in ux uh and it's just it's almost like it's like a almost like a childish dream i'm still holding on to to like illustrate but i'm doing that too i'm just not doing it at airship you know i actually have quite a, a lot of personal illustration work that I've done um, for like books and book series and stuff. So it's, it's not like I'm not scratching that itch. It's, it's just, you know, there are still those days when I'm like, like sitting two feet away from like Joe would have been kind of cool to like do some art, you know, <laughs> but, yeah. but whatever, man, like, I, I think, I think I'm closer to that, that dream I had when I was a kid than I, than I ever thought I'd be, you know, I mean, shit, even, even, even little, little milestones, like uh, doing like the Castlevania logo, like, it's just one of those things. It's a game I grew up playing and I love that series and just like contributing even this tiny bit to it. You know I mean? Like the guys over at powerhouse animation, they're the ones doing the heavy lifting, right? They're the ones doing all the work. I get to do this tiny little thing and ride those coattails. And it's just like, dude, I, if the 12 year old me knew what was going to happen, he wouldn't believe it. It'd blow his mind. Yeah, yeah so. I mean, it's interesting where I think there's yeah, 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 definitely. Cheers to that. But uh, I think there's there's an interesting fact in that fact that when you showed me the Castlevania LP, I was like, "Holy shit!" Like your logos on that as well. And like, I remember when I first saw the previews for Castlevania, I was like, "And I'm no, I'm not just saying this obviously because you're sitting here. Like, Honest to God, the truth of the matter is." I looked at that logo reveal and I was like, "That's a fuck. That's a nice fucking logo. That is a nice." Because obviously, coming from <laughs> a, a design and a, and a typography background, I was like, "Jesus, that's a really nice. That's a really nice logo." And like, that's the fact. There was a. It was a. It was a meme on Facebook and somebody and it was an illustration of how we perceive our art as to how the public perceives it. Where like, the guy comes and is you know there's a there's a huge uh, magnificent cake on the table and the guy's bringing a cake to the table also but the cake isn't a, you know it's no three tier it's no super fancy and it's like oh man that guy's cake looks so much better than mine and he puts the cake down and then the guy comes over to eat it and he's like fuck yeah man two cakes you know what i mean like yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like you know what i mean like you're sitting going like ah you know i only got to do the logo but for me like that was one of the defining things about that series was how the logo stood out, especially when you go to Netflix, right? Because Netflix sticks with the thumbnails and you're looking at it and it's so prevalent. In oh the, my God, the, it's, the, it's, it's the, surreal. Here's, yeah. here's what's crazy. I like, I mean, I, I actually get uncomfortable sometimes when I see it because it's, it's almost like I, I'm still, I, I don't know. It's big, you know, it's Castlevania, but again, yeah. my life didn't change. I am not a different person. The, and it's almost like I, I don't want to look at it too much, you know? because I don't want to start thinking about it differently because when I look at this logo, I don't think about 
what other people look at it. I actually think about making it. I think about and thank you for for uh, commenting on liking the design. Um, you would laugh. You would laugh if I showed you the first draft. Um, so so the story. There is a story behind the logo, right? And and I like to think. Oh, yeah. they didn't they didn't pick me because I'm a great logo guy. They picked me because I'm a, I'm a bit of a Swiss army knife. Uh, and they had a week right. to, to deliver a logo. So I think I was like just oh, a, wow. a fixer. Like I, I, I'm not again, like I, they didn't pick me because I'm some hotshot logo maker. They just picked me because I'm affordable and available. You know, uh, I, I've worked with powerhouse. Ah, but see, that, that's, you, that's you putting yourself down again. But I bet you they picked you because they loved your artwork. <laughs> well, tell, tell you what, there you go. That's my own perception, and I'm probably wrong. And I appreciate you. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Steve. Thank you. Um, no, so yeah. <laughs> I, five days. They gave me five yeah. days to, to get – I think they contacted me on – no, sorry, one week. They contacted me on a Friday. Right. And they said they would have details for me on a Monday. So, of course, that weekend I, I started putting together doodles and stuff like that. I hadn't seen yeah. one frame of the show, so I had no idea what the tone was. But I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, and, and my original design was based on the classic Castlevania design. So like it was a lot more um, like old English looking and really kind of ornate. And uh, Monday comes around and then they give me the details and they give me the tone. And I was completely off. Like basically they saw my first draft and they're like, no, 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 don't, don't. Like, like, like we're going to ignore that right now because that is so off yeah. the mark. We don't want to be distracted. And they're just like, no, no, they, right. it's an anime. They want it to, but it's like gritty. They, 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 they were like, we want it to feel like Dark Souls. We want it to feel like Berserk. We want it to feel like um, like those really gritty Japanese uh, shows, right? And so right. I actually I actually had a couple drafts of the logo. It wasn't too different from from the final one, but it also incorporated Japanese right. characters, right? It, and in fact, in fact, I should dig those up and just share them like like on social because like what what are they going to do? Who cares, right? You know, the thing is such a thing now. It's not giving away anything. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. at one point we had different designs, um, mm -hmm. but it was such a roller coaster. And that's what I'm saying. When I look at that logo, I don't think of you know the show at all anymore. I actually think of of the real accomplishment was going from one Friday to the next Friday with zero, almost even less than zero because I was going in the opposite direction that I should have been. But like going from right. nothing to having mm -hmm. the final logo. They didn't make any edits to it. They didn't say, okay, cool, this is nice for now, but we're going to go with something final later with a different artist or whatever. No, like from one Friday to the next Friday, about five iterations, we came up with the final one and it shipped. And like, like that's the kind of stuff that like, I, I still have chills thinking about. Cause I'm like, how did that even happen? Like, I, cause I had a day job. Mm. I, I had all these other things in my life. I have a daughter. It's somehow it still happened. Like it still, it still managed to come together. And, um, in the moment, I didn't think at all about it. Yeah, yes, of course. That first Friday, I'm like, hell yeah, Castlevania, I can't believe it. And then it kicked in <laughs> over the weekend, like, what did I get myself into? Can I do this? It's a yeah, big yeah. thing. You know, this is actually a lot of weight. Can I even carry it? Um, but the fact that we got to that that second Friday and everyone was happy, like that, that's that's the accomplishment, you know. And so yeah. I yeah. I have I, I don't have as many of those as you might think of like these, like, you know, like these crazy how did it come together i and and when they had when it happens like that you know when it, those are the times i like i really like that old school it's like old school game development too it's just like you know four dudes in a, in a closet really just working away and you don't know what's going to happen but somehow a game came out you know what i mean yeah 
Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's even the way, you know, the logo sits, you know, for me, it almost looks handcrafted in the fact that it's, it actually looks like it's been either lino or screen printed. Um, and then, of course, the the C, the A and the S, you know, the whole, the flame thing that's going on there as well that leads into the negative colours, like, I think is something that, you know, is almost lost in, in modern design. And I think it was something awesome that you brought back. And, you know, I think... You know, the things you're talking about where, like, oh, you know, I've done this, I've done that. But then, you know, so far in the space, a couple of years, you know, you've worked on Darksiders, you've worked on League of Legends, you've worked on Castlevania and TV shows. Like, you've done a lot, you know, in the last couple of years. And I think it's hard because I've done it as well, where you never really stop to look back and see everything you've done that's behind you. You're always kind of looking forward into the next thing. And I think it's only when people like me stop and point it out, you're kind of like, oh yeah, like I've done a lot with my life in the last couple of years. That's quite impressive. Um, but it's hard, especially for me, you know, when I got to a point where I was getting down on myself the last couple of weeks, people were like, well, you left your job at 28. We no guarantee you were going to do anything. You know, you've worked on video games, you've got your degree, you know, you've been able to speak to all these guys. You've had this podcast for these couple of years. You've been all around the world meeting people. So you're kind of like, oh, okay, there's merit to what I've done. But it is hard when you're sitting as yourself trying to think about, you know, people always say that you shouldn't compare yourself to other people. You should compare yourself to an old version of yourself. Like, where were you six months ago, two years ago? What were you like then? What are you like now? And how do they compare? Um, which I think is, is very apt, right? It's probably something you go through daily, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, just to even address what you were talking about, how like, you know, you you struggle sometimes when uh, when things just aren't landing or happening when you think they should or as fast as they should. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing. Just take mm-hmm. take that take that time box off of it. Right. You know, and, and again, there's a there could be a fallacy with how, you know, you, you know, your story right now is I quit my job at mm-hmm. twenty eight. Quit my job at 28 mm-hmm. and I'd start a fresh start at 28. You know what I mean? And and just even that tone feels like you're saying, I I reset the clock at 28 and look at all this time that I've lost. And it's like, no, not at all, man. You were 28. You've, you've got a lot of experience that you're bringing with you as you shift your focus. That's all it is. You know, mm-hmm. like – like, yeah. like I said, it's not a chasing a dream is you're not going to catch that dream. It's not something to catch. It's just how yeah. you change your focus right now. Your focus is on game development yeah. is in art and it's just, it's, it's a treadmill, man. You're like, you, you, you're never going to get as good as you want, mm-hmm. you know, and you're probably always going to find flaws in your work. And that's true of every artist. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't believe an artist yeah. that looks at their work and say, yeah, that's, that's the best I'll ever do. Like it's never, there's always going to be something that you knew that you had to make a compromise on. Um, and, and it becomes the, it becomes a starting point of your next piece, right? Like, okay, this is the thing that Mm -hmm. I, I failed on, you know, through my own personal, Mm -hmm. you know, criteria. And so now this becomes the next thing that I work Mm -hmm. on. And really it's the work that you have to love. Like if you love the work, Mm -hmm. then really like it, it, it means that you'll have, uh, longevity, and then the success will come. I'll, I'll, let's go back to the casino days. Here's another thing I learned about cas- through working at a casino game company, right? All right, so the way that a lot of these slot machines work is, you know, let's say in the math design of a slot machine, you have a set amount of money that the game is allowed mathematically, you know, balanced to give the player, but on at, you know, so so some players walk away from the machine rich other players walk away and they've sunk hundreds of dollars in right but it's it's all fair math it's all fair odds and stuff and so it's really you're just playing the numbers right and like anyone who plays the numbers 
you can't predict what the numbers are going to do with any accuracy. You could just try to, you know, uh, be in the right place at the right time. But really, how do how do people with money make money? They just have money and then they 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 make their bets and they let it sit and they, they you know they accumulate. Sorry. So going back, um, the way that money was distributed in the game, very very little of the money actually happens on the reels, right? Three kings, you get like you know a buck fifty, right? Where the real money gets distributed is is in the bonus games, right? So land, you know, bonus symbol, bonus symbol, bonus symbol, boom, bonus game, right? You got free spins, or you got like a pick, pick five of eight boxes, and you know, uh, there's all different types of, of bonus games. But the bonus games are where the most money is given. And sorry, I, I promise you, there's a point to this. Um, no, no, no. How do you get to a bonus game, right? So this is where the math really kicks in. Okay, well, like roughly. You know, two to, two to three times per hundred dollars you put in the machine, you are pretty much guaranteed. It could actually happen a lot more than that. I've seen people put twenty dollars into a machine and they hit like five bonuses, right? So it's again, it's just how the numbers play out. What I'm getting at is, um, if you have enough money to put in the machine, you're going to hit a bonus game, right? It's just how the numbers work. And so when it comes to like your career and how you work, if you like working, you'll be able to sustain yourself long enough to actually be in the right place at the right time to hit the bonus game equivalent of your career, that next job opportunity, that next thing, right? If you quit before that day happens because you have labeled yourself a failure or labeled yourself not cut out for this thing or like, ah, yeah, I changed my mind. I'm going to do this other thing because I can get to my return on investment faster, right? Well, then obviously you're never going to hit the bonus game, right? Because you've basically taken your money out of the machine. So, you know, the art of, of actually being a profitable gambler, especially if you're doing slots, is you pick your machine and you stick to your machine. If you mm. take your money out because it's not going your way and you go to a different machine, then you've basically just robbed yourself of the opportunity to hit the bonus game on that next spin. You know what I mean? So mm. it's... Uh, it does apply. And, and actually, I mean, like I said, I don't want to come off sounding too positive or, or naive about things, but that's definitely what, what my experience has been is you just put, you know, when, when things aren't hitting, you put your head down and you just focus on your work, you know, whether it's for a thousand people or just for yourself, because it's what you like to do, right? Yeah. Get, getting the acknowledgement for your work. That's awesome. But it's not what I like. I like, making things right and so mm. if you just keep making stuff and and you like podcast included man like this is awesome i love that you've given me a platform obviously i like talking and telling stories um more, yeah. more so than anything else i like to uh maybe maybe there's someone listening right now who's in a similar spot right or who's half halfway to the career that they think that they want they're in the industry but they're not exactly where they want to be and they don't know where to go next like i i would love it if even just one person connected with anything i've said uh that makes me feel happy yeah. and so you know you're on my well, radar I'm connected now with what you're saying huh you know I mean? yeah yeah i'm connecting with what you're saying so yeah yeah, yeah. but but the I more mean, you put yourself out there you, you're actually doing the work even if you're even if right now you're not creating a piece of art or whatever you're doing the work to create relationships you're already one step closer mm. to getting to getting to that next step. Yeah, man, I'm yeah. I'm excited. I'm I'm super excited. Yeah, I mean, people even talked about. I mean, somebody put it in perspective the other day where I was like, you know, because sometimes I mean, I even I don't value 
the thing I do, which you think is awesome. But then people were like, well, if you think about it, man, there's maybe only what, like three people in the world right now who are doing art podcasts specific to maybe like the games or concept industry. And you're giving us a platform to speak. If you went away, that takes it to two. And then it's even less likely people will get a platform to speak. So he's like, and again, this is to me tooting one horn, but like it did put it in perspective where I was like, oh, like something I'm doing is actually worth something. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's making people happy. And, you know, like, man, I've had emails from people like, so two examples. I had an email last year to somebody in Australia, um, if you're listening, hello. Um, and he sent me an email saying that he was leaving his job because I inspired him to go to art school. And I was like in tears reading that email, like this whole two or three paragraphs about you really gave me the courage to do it and step up. And I was like, Jesus Christ, man. And then two was when I was at Lightbox in 2019 and I was at Ras Booth, um, I was getting approached by people who were like, you know, oh my God, I recognize your voice. I listen to your podcast all the time. Even freakier than that, I was on a flight from Chicago to LAX. I was ordering a drink and the guy next to me was like, are you Gordon Neal, by the way? I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, dude, I fucking love your podcast. And I was like, oh my that's God. Cool. Like, what a moment. Yeah, but like, that's the stuff that keeps me wanting to just keep pushing forward. And, you know, I always think that like, I maybe haven't got a strong will of determination, but people also talk about like, how driven I am to just keep going forward. And I think it's like you said, if I do something that inspires at least one person, then like, mission accomplished, right? That's... Yeah. yeah, and and, yeah. and also, um, you know, here's here's something that I don't know you you think of or you know may or may not blow your mind, but like almost like how I set out to do one thing, but then UX became my calling. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you you switched careers to games, and there, it's mm-hmm. it's it's entirely possible that you switch careers again to something else. That 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 this this podcast and this effort is growing towards something even more aligned mm. to, to who you are. Than even your own goals mm. in, in the video games industry. So I think I think really the key yeah. takeaway here is to just be open, man. Just to be open and, and let let cool things happen to you. Uh, and the best way to do that is to you know not not to put so much pressure on yourself for mm. a specific for a specific outcome for a specific goal. Like sure, yeah. pr- pressure yourself to have good habits, sleep, you know, get good sleep, uh, train. Mm-hmm. Stick stick to your mm-hmm. you know commitments and stuff like that. Those are all good habits to have. Mm-hmm. Spend spend time with with people mm-hmm. that that you know encourage you. All that stuff's really good. But mm-hmm. but you know th- those specific like like creative goals that you that almost feel like an ultimatum. If this doesn't happen, then I can't move forward mm-hmm. in my career. Like that stuff's a trap. You know you can't really think like that. But yeah, so it's just really like you know be open to allowing cool things to happen and, and the coolest things that happen are the ones that you don't expect or don't control it's just like oh crap how did this just fall in my lap uh yeah yeah i'll do this you know little project or you know i here's an opportunity for me to learn something that i can definitely reapply or reinvest into my overall goal that's a cool diversion as well and that, that may not have happened um had you been i guess uh, too restrictive on yourself yeah, I think it was even interesting when I turned to doing game jams at one point because, you know, it was something that wasn't even on my radar and I thought to myself, well, why would I want to do that? Because how is that going to help me? Or, you know, how is making like a small indie game with a team of two people? But then on those two projects, when I worked with the team I worked with, like with Sean and Adrian and, and eventually John as well, like I learned so much about 
engine work, working with a team, delivering stuff through different like cloud mediums. And then, of course, how to ship a final product, how to do key art so that they had logos and stuff. And I had to do a bit of logos myself on Tomato Mayor and some UI even at that point. I done like, I mean, the UI wasn't fabulous, but like it was still there. And, um, and like, yeah, like that was a learning experience I never thought I would have, but I did. So I think, like you said, being open is the key thing because you think to yourself, like, oh, well, this isn't doing Hearthstone cards for Blizzard. Well, do you get to be creative and you're getting paid for it? Yeah. Well, then take it as a positive thing. You know what I mean, absolutely yeah so i think what we'll do as well now billy is maybe shift into your day-to-day or things that would be more specific to ui ux so yeah billy so uh you're getting back to the more technical aspect of of what you do for a day job um and leaving the kind of motivational stuff behind ui ux um i think to people because it's such a niche in the industry is maybe lost on like where you take that artistically so what is your app suite like like i mean are you in adobe most days do you work with 3d programs how do you animate or build your flowcharts uh can it sure. take us through your typical your typical thing your, your uh, workflow i'd say it does it does run the gamut and it kind of depends on what type of visualization you need to do it does but it does go mm-hmm. everything from like vector art in adobe illustrator to just quick and dirty like you know pencil sketches in photoshop mm-hmm. to uh, interactive mm-hmm. mockups with Adobe XD, uh, sometimes all the way, if it's, especially if it's like a dimensional UI, something that, that, that is going to be projected in a 3D space, there is an opportunity sometimes to do full-on uh, 3D rendering and 3D pre-visualization. I, I can go into each one of those. Um, so yeah, from a, from a day-to-day uh, you know, breakdown, I'd say that my primary tool is Adobe Illustrator, and it has it has been uh, since the casino game days, uh, because at that time um, a lot of our art had to be both purposed for uh, digital display, but also for physical printing, right? Printed real tapes, printed signage and stuff like that. So uh, from a production standpoint, it made yeah. sense for things to be uh, resolution independent and, and print ready. Uh, and vectors mm. is, is that, you know, there, there, there's no pixel scale to a, a vector image. And so just out of necessity, I had to learn Illustrator. But at this point, Illustrator is the tool that I am the most, I'm just the fastest in. Uh, even, even coloring comic, even coloring comics, like I'll, I'll actually take the line art into Illustrator. I don't vectorize the line art, but what I do is I create all my flats, all my basic shading and everything like that uh, as vectors mm-hmm. so that I can export them back out at a huge resolution for the final brushwork and stuff that I do in Photoshop, right? So Adobe Illustrator right. is, my, is my main tool and I, and I love to use it. Uh, I can just get to the end and I can move things around so quickly, right? So what I have to do almost every day is uh, like my primary product that I make uh, is pre visualization, right? We we have we have enough mm-hmm. people on the team now where we actually have other folks that build stuff out in Unreal or actually develop out all the 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 graphic, all the final graphic designs and stuff. Um, but what I do is I essentially I'm doing concept art, but in the UX UI space, I'm pre visualizing a screen so that. Um, mm-hmm. So that our, for instance, so that our designers can look through it and say, hey, like, like, yo, th- those are all the features that we want. And programmers can look at it and say, okay, cool. Not only do we need all this data to be tracked under the hood, but now we also have to kind of create mm-hmm. events for when you click this button, this event has to happen in order to tell this part of the game, hey, the players made this choice and save this data or push it up to, you know, uh, other other systems in the game. So 
what I do is is a lot of times what I do is is meant it's almost like a blueprint, right? I'm building the blueprint that everyone can look at all the different you know disciplines and all the different contractors can look at and say, okay, cool. Now we know what the building is that we're building, right? So uh, yeah. Uh, so in Illustrator, a lot of times what I'll do is you know uh, when I get the basic idea, you know, you, you build enough skill trees enough to know what a skill tree looks like. You build enough crafting systems yeah. that you kind of know what those look like. So if someone just says, hey, you know, we're going to have a crafting system in our game. I say, cool. I actually have about five templates in my head that I can start with immediately right now, depending on the, mm-hmm. the fine points. Okay. Is it a, is it a Minecraft style crafting system where it really is just like, you know, you grab bag of different resources and you, you experiment and you kind of have this whole like spreadsheet of different, you know, genealogies, essentially, uh, very free form. Is it like that? Or is it like mm-hmm. Horizon Zero Dawn where there's crafting, but it, it's really just a currency cost. Like in order to make more arrows for my bow, I just have to have mm-hmm. enough of these, you know, base resources. And then I hold the X button and I get, get five more, get five more. Like that's a very, very yeah. simple, might as well, you might as well go to an NPC and something costs 20 gold. You know what I mean? It's just, it's not creative. Mm-hmm. It's not a creative crafting system, right? So you, you, you play enough yeah. games, you make enough games to know the different types, the different like flavors of a system. So normally I can get mm-hmm. handed a concept, a design doc or whatever, without any visual and it's just like okay cool it's like this it's this flavor uh and that gets me 50 60 percent of the way and then i look at the nuances of it okay actually it's but it's also tied into this character progression system where it's tied into um this uh you know this uh like even like world progression right like this tree on your like this sphere this is all theoretical right but like this this sphere on the skill tree doesn't become available until this narrative moment, right? So like we, we start to pick apart the nuances, right? Uh, so I just blank canvas and illustrator. I start putting down boxes and shapes, right? And so anyone who, who does UX probably works this way too. Uh, programmers make flowcharts work this way. Shapes mean something, right? So if I have a, a clickable button, right? That's that's a square or a rectangle. It's, it's, it's blocked off, right? Uh, if I have something that's supposed to be Static information, like basically squares mean something, triangles mean something, circles mean something, and um, mm-hmm. even color, colors, right? Muted colors are non-interactive, static, passive elements. Bright colors, those are interaction mm-hmm. points, right? So I basically heat map, you know, this doesn't sound very sexy, but I heat map out the screen. <laughs> and even from the heat yeah. map, whether you know what you're looking at or not, you are, your eye already knows where it should be going, right? The, the hierarchy of information yeah. and the implication of how you interact with the screen that's what the heat map is meant to yep. do. It's, you know, it's, it's the same thing as just, you know, blocking out your silhouette, you know, for a painting or you yeah, know, yeah. The, the, the rough, the rough shape out uh, uh, when you're sculpting in clay, right? You're just basically getting the sense of what the screen's composition is. And it's, and it's not yeah. based on aesthetics at all. At that point, there's, there's, there's nothing pleasing about it from a visual standpoint. It's really meant to be like, okay, cool am I setting the screen up to, to do what it needs to do from a player interaction or a player information standpoint, right? Have I given enough footprint to your stats so that your stats don't have to be a 10 point font. It could actually be a nice readable 16 or an 18. You know what I mean? Like all those considerations come in. uh, And so from that wireframe, what's nice about Illustrator, especially if you've been using for a while, like, you know, you've got an entire creative suite now to, to take it to full. And that's what I often do. Once I get my heat map and my kind of wireframe looking like, you know, if I can play it, like, again, going back to how I build things, if I'm looking at that screen and I'm playing a game, 
I'm on the right track. If I'm looking at that screen and it's just a bunch of boxes and none of it makes sense, I'm still in the process mm-hmm. of hashing out that kind of that first draft wireframe. But, you know, once I have my heat map and I feel good about the game that I'm playing in my head, and this is all by myself, by the way. I mean, I, I hardly ever send that heat map out to other people because they don't have the same codes that I've created for myself. So they might look at a, a, a green square button and not at all know what that means. You know what I mean? Like, oh, oh, oh. I'm like, no, that, 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 that's an XP progress bar. You didn't know that? You know what I mean? Like, I don't expect them to, to have the same shorthand that I have, right? So I, I never show these the heat map layer to anyone. That's really a personal thing, right? But the yeah. thing that, that becomes the distributable is the next step. This is where I take each one of those really gross primitives and I flesh them out into uh, what, what it's never the final thing, right? But it is... It, it is at right. the level of finish of a final thing, mm-hmm. right? A lot of times right. I don't I don't even bother trying to go through. Like I mean, I build the brand guides. Like I, I'm the guy who builds all, all, all that material too. So I know in my heart how something should look. And even even then, oftentimes I'm like, well, I don't have time to take. I don't have time to do that. But I do have time to put a really nice gold trim around this thing so that you understand this is an important element versus this thing that's pushed back in opacity because it's not so important. You know what I mean? So like I will take it to finished polish in terms of like visual presentation, even if it's not the final art that makes it into the game. Why? Because it gets people looking at the screen to be less distracted by the visuals and they start thinking about the actual uh, functionality of the screen. Yeah. I mean, like, for example, I mean, one of the things, I mean, I'm going to send this to you on uh, on Facebook, Billy. I don't know if you can see this JPEG that I've sent you. But uh, even just to talk about this this page icons that you've done, and it'd probably be easier if I could just share my screen, but I can't, unfortunately, on, on the, the app we're using. No, but, I'm, you know, the, the yeah, um, even just to talk through, like, and I'll share this screen with you guys who are watching on YouTube, but just to walk through, like, even the stuff you've done here, like, so this is stuff you would build, uh, primarily an illustrator is flat shapes and flat colors and then you're then building this back up and in, in photoshop as a painting almost there yeah yeah actually um yeah so let's see here some of these uh mm-hmm. man man i love those icons um going back so now let's go let's go <laughs> let's go from the bottom up right so we're looking at the darksiders genesis right um weapons uh uh weapon abilities mm-hmm. and uh, ammo type icons mm-hmm. as well as other uh, uh, character abilities, horse icons. So uh, from the from the bottom up. So the bottom ones are like ninety five percent vector. Those are like very like they're they're right primarily vector. And then I take them into Photoshop and I do some brushwork. Uh, and then from from the top going up, like like that is a mix and match. Like for instance, the chaos form icons like those started life okay. as vector vector uh, icons and then i did some brushwork uh but things like uh for instance let's see here like uh the void bomb and the aether spark the, mm-hmm. the two uh, strife uh, equipment items uh in the middle there towards the right those are actually yep. i i just extracted mm-hmm. like i mean sometimes you have to save time uh you don't have all the time in the world so like mm-hmm. in that case i was like well listen if most of these things end up looking painterly at the end of the day or, or like illustrated at the end of the day no one's going to care if it was you know if it started life as a vector illustration that's just my own point of pride uh no but like yeah. i ju- i took some of baldi's baldi's concepts for those things and i mm-hmm. i just used the the concept art and then i painted on top of it to give it just a little layer of polish but yeah like um some right. of these things 
some of these things started life as a 3D render and you'd be surprised how much had to get paint, repainted. But like, you know, I mean, like there's no, if I have a 3D model of the crossblade, there's no need for me to like hand draw that thing from scratch. I'll bring it into Photoshop, right? And then I'll like knock it down. I'll, I'll try to knock it down. Because a lot of times the 3D renders, right, the, 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 the textures get a little grungy, especially at a high resolution. Right. So most times I have to like either yeah, like yeah. use a, me, a median or like a, like, a, like a surface blur or something just to kind of knock it back. But most times I mm-hmm. just you take it as a silhouette and I almost repaint it on top. Um, but that, that's right. just a, a time-saving measure. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, Battle Chasers. Of course. Battle Chasers was one of those games where, like, I, I don't even remember how how it was even possible, but like all the weapon icons, all the gear icons, everything, mm-hmm. those were completely done in vector. Um, right. But yeah, it's like it's uh, the process. I mean, so so that's that's a different process from like the UX of a screen. Uh, when we get to like icons, at that point, it's it's just mm-hmm. it's just eye candy. You know what I mean? Like you're just creating content to right, put yeah. into into the vehicle. Um, UX is like mm-hmm. design, designing the vehicle and like UI is like, you know, I want to actually, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's not a good UI is like what the vehicle is carrying, right? What the vehicle is tra- or the color right. of the vehicle or like the, the, the decorations. I was going to say the driver, but <laughs> no, the, pl- the, the player is the driver. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but as far as, as the versatility of the tool, like, yeah, I mean, illustrator is, like I said, the center point of, of uh almost everything i do just because of again that versatility but uh yeah when it sometimes uh if it's necessary i'll in that previous phase of of of, uh ux you know designing a screen i'll 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 do some full-on like icon illustrations and stuff and in fact a lot of times so i i don't know man it's part of the process or part of why i think i have to do that you know because again like like a lot of times, uh, UX designers don't take anything to full. They, they they put together a flow or a wireframe, something clickable in uh in, in in various programs, or you can make like interactive mockups, and then it gets handed over to someone yeah. else. I just feel like, you know, if I can take it to full and have some yeah. examples, some key examples of icons or whatever, what's nice about that is that that becomes the shortcut to getting to a style guide, like like for icons, for instance. Right. If I can pump out two or three key icons for look and feel that can get handed off to any artist to work on at any time to flesh them out into the mm. like icon set right so there's there's some benefit to you know having some of that upfront development that way it's not like okay cool we know what the screen does and now we're going to spend the next month uh trying to figure out what the visual style is going to be right so um right i just i just yeah. find that in a small team sometimes you have to find as many cost saving shortcuts as you can yeah, of course. Well, actually, I think a lot of people get lost in as well is that you're in a production environment. You know, it was the same with concept art for years. You know, people started using 3D, started using Photobash, and then it was, oh, you know, it's cheating. It's not the proper thing. You're not staying, you know, true to the art form. But when you're in those production scenarios, especially in studios, time is definitely money. So anything that can get the job done quicker and, and you know, convey the idea. And especially concept art initially was always a thing where people were like the stuff in the art books is the production art right that's the promotional stuff the down and dirty concept stuff is things that you know you're never really going to see and nobody ever sees so it's it's like sometimes it's like a half finished drawn but you're just trying to convey an idea and it must be the same icons right you you don't always have to deliver the super polished stuff that arrives in the book sometimes you just have to draw stuff on a napkin or a quick sketch and be like here this is an idea oh yeah oh yeah yeah and that yeah i mean Mm. 
uh, I'm not a very tight sketcher. Like a lot of my, like it's the thing, it's, it's why a lot of my concepts are not included in the book. Uh, they're not very pretty <laughs> to look at, but, um, you know, like, like, uh, you know, I'll pull out a sketchbook and I'll, um, and I'll just do silhouettes, you know, even if something's going to be fully rendered a lot of times, all I need to care about, especially mm-hmm. in the initial design phase is to make sure that it's readable. Yeah. And it's understandable yeah. from a graphic design standpoint, because a lot of times our icons, our illustrated icons get converted because w- once you scale an icon down really, really small, it, a lot of times it loses mm-hmm. its readability because the details aren't, aren't intact. Um, and so you have to make like a secondary, like a simple version of the icon so that it can be a little bit more stylized and a little bit more bulky so that it can be read at a small scale. So that's where I start with, with all my icon design, um, even ability icons, uh, I will go, uh, you could probably see on, on, on uh, one of my art station posts, I have like the uh, rough sketches of what another, another artist, uh, Isabel Grace, did these fantastic uh, ability icons for War and Strife and like their different rampage and, and uh, uh, the, you know, their different chaos modes. And if you look at the, the sketches I did there, they're grayscale and they focus 100% on silhouette. And they use, you know, contrast in the grayscale to like, you know, imply, cool. here's where we need some effects. Here's here, here's the main focus. The black is the main focus. The white is the effects layer right. that's going to imply the action or the, the basically the, the, the motion line so that the player understands, is this a defensive or is this an offensive attack? Like, I mean, there's, we can have a whole uh, episode on just the, uh, the process of designing icons because icons are both a pretty picture as well as conveying information. They, they really are the, the true culmination of uh, art, and, art and UI and UX. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. But, but, I was just going like, to say like silhouette. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, if, if, it, if it fails to read as a silhouette, then I, 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 you know, there are definitely things that will test this, but most times it will fail with detail. If it can't read as a silhouette, it's not going to read with detail. You're just going to just keep putting coats of paint over a, over a bad foundation. Yeah. I mean, like even, I know, back in the day when we done design school, I mean, there was times when, you know, because when you open Illustrator, for instance, you know, you've got so many million colors and swatches and pantones, but, you know, people were like, you know, just make a logo with two colors, just like even grayscale, like black and black and gray, you know, or black and white, you know, like make something read at that level before you put anything else on top of it, which I think is a good, even for concept stuff, even for 3D stuff, like silhouette is so important because, you know, I, I was having this talk the other day with somebody from, I forget the company, but we were talking about basically about how people can draw really well, right? People can 3D model stuff to a technical standard that's really amazing. But there's people who do that stuff who still can't design. Like design is like such a king element that like if you don't have that, it doesn't matter really how much you can draw or you can fake so much of it. But if you can't design something really well, you know, like even those gloves you made, the weapon icons where you've made like the gully gloves and you made like, you know, 15, 16 iterations of those, you've got to have some kind of design skill to know, you know, and of course you're working with concept, but still you've got to have an, an idea how the things are going to read for, you know, well, you're a, a distance. Choice. You're, so, you're yeah. making choices, even if you derive, uh, you know, like a final icon based on some other concept, right? You're, you're making choices. You're making choices as to what's the most important aspect of this design that needs to carry through, right? Yeah. That's the thing. If, I'm, if you're translating, yeah. 
right? Some shit's going to get lost in translation mm-hmm. and other stuff's going to get added mm-hmm. to make it localized, right? To, to the place that it's going to yep. be showing up. And so you make, you definitely make choices, right? And so you're right. Like you having a good design sense. It's, it's funny. Um, one of the things, uh, you know, not, not to divulge too many Joe, Joe Matt rare secrets, but Joe Matt is such, such a great <laughs> uh, collaborator and mentor. Uh, and his value system is great. It was very eye-opening because you'd think like the reason why he would appreciate someone's art would be because you know the shallow the shallow concept the shallow uh, approach would be like oh you appreciate their art because they're a very popular artist so they must be good right so so you like them because they're popular right right? or you like them because of you know some style that they do that that, that's that that you dig or whatever no like he the one of the things he keeps coming back is like i like their choices What's interesting to him about other artists are their points of view, their choices as a designer. And if you look at Joe's work, Joe is a phenomenal graphic designer. His silhouette work, I mean, so many panels in the Battle Chasers series are just nothing but silhouette. Mm-hmm. And it's got so much energy. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, I mean, hell, even the first teaser of one of my favorite images of Battle Chasers Night War is like Garrison in like a, it's like a blue, it's like a, a blue like monochromatic uh, image of Garrison in a forest looking at the sword, his, his, you know, his, his, uh, his main sword. And, and it's just so moody, but it's just the silhouette work is just, the graphic design is perfect. Right. But anyways, going back to like um, appreciating the design and appreciating that even if people aren't like world-class artists, their design sensibilities make them world-class because they have a point of view that's exciting and unique or, or or the things that they value generate imagery that is evocative and exciting and you know when you come, a video game has to have all that in it you know what i mean at least the ones we're trying to make yeah. we, we world build we want to reward the player like like it's it's amazing how in other games icons are not rewards right icons aren't treat right. aren't aren't they're not considered a treat and, and, and I get it. There's a, there's definitely a place for nothing but flat color. I do it all the time too. I flat, flat shade, just flat color silhouette, like tiny little icons, a skill tree. That's nothing but just flat icons. Right. But if you look at like a skill tree, the thing of like, uh, first of all, path of exiles can be very, very off putting to some people in terms of just how overwhelming it is. But you look at like their skill tree and you just want to click. You just want to, mm, it looks like little pieces of candy. You just want to engage. And, and so that's definitely the school that we come from. You know, it's like everything that's on the screen is just flavorful and, and, and it's a reward. It's a We value your time as a, as a player and, and we love what we do and we're showing it. Every screen has all of us on it, you know what I mean, in terms of like our passion and excitement for just being creators. So our icons are rewards, right? When you see a new action bar come up and it's like all these badass little little paintings, like it makes you excited. It makes you excited to play. So like our, our design philosophy definitely comes from a place where it's not specific to an art style. It's more like specific to a celebration of art appreciation. Right, us as art makers, yeah. a player as 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 an appreciator of art, but we all appreciate games as art, right? And so it's this kind of shared fandom. I think that allows us to make our games feel bespoke and feel like handcrafted. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's also <coughs> interesting when you talked about 
you know, the whole design aspect of it. And I think with UX and UI, that definitely is something that's a priority. But then, of course, I think when it comes to to building these things, and, and I think, you know, obviously we, we talked about it initially when we started talking about the, the mainstream aspect of, of user interface and your experience and how you dived, you know, head into that, that world when you were only 19. And, you know, even when I talked about building UI, you were like, you know, the more you make stuff, you know, you learn different stuff and you learn you know, the way to create things really quickly because you're you're testing that stuff in the field. Um, I mean, like, what would you say is, you know, if you were talking to someone getting into the field now or, or, or specifically focusing on, I want to make UX, UI for games, would your advice just be, you know, like remake it? Like somebody told me, I remember somebody told me ages ago that a really fun exercise was to take an, an existing game and remake the UI. Stuff like that, would that be stuff that you would like, early on say would be good yeah absolutely that's a that's a phenomenal exercise um I, i've i've used a similar one uh when i was uh when i was leading a game team at game salad uh, the thing that i would uh and that we did trainings we did online trainings for for early game developers and this this is more centered at like general development as opposed to just ux but it still applies this idea that take your favorite game mm-hmm. and what I, mm-hmm. my challenge my challenge for these people like take take your favorite classic game you know mario mm-hmm. mega man contra mm-hmm. and i and and, and it, using game solid to just recreate the first screen right and then people the thing is all the things that everyone took for granted right this that's easy mm-hmm. that's a waste of time why, why are we going so easy i'm like just trust <laughs> just trust me so like the uh, for instance yeah. mario the first screen or the first like portion of mario you're a little guy running okay you move a screen forward, and now you've got blocks, right? And you've got a Goomba, and then you hit a pipe. Let's right. say the pipe is the end. The level doesn't yeah. go any further than that. What do you have to do to right. get that far? You have to mm-hmm. build a character that runs. Oh, shit, but what are they running on? Okay, I have to build a ground plane. Cool. Oh, oh, but but he's small, and he's able to grow. So now I have to have stateful logic that lets me know that this little guy can have a state where he's a big guy. And if he gets hit, he can become a little guy again. But if he's a little guy and gets hit, he, he dies. Oh, but what can hit him? The bad guy. Oh, shit. Now I have to have a bad guy with a walking path and logic collision to know that if he touches me in this particular direction, he hurts me. But if I touch him from a different direction, I hurt him. Oh, shit. I can hit a block from the bottom. If it's a certain type of block... A coin block, it's either a coin or a mushroom is going to come out. Oh, crap, that mushroom has motion to it. Oh, these other blocks, if I hit them, they can break. But only if I'm a big Mario, not a little Mario. It's just even that one little screen, right? Oh, yeah, I have to have block collision from the bottom and the top. You know, that that behaves differently depending on where I'm hitting it from. So that one tiny portion would take people sometimes weeks to recreate, and we have we have pretty decent tools that that could allow a player, uh, a, a developer, to, to create that sequence using game cell without having to code. But the exercise wasn't the coding challenge. The exercise was the design challenge. Like, how do I have all these things that need to talk to one another, speak the same language, and have the out the intended you know result? And so, um, the exercise to take something that exists. And recreate it, uh, especially for UX, is great because it means that, okay, all right, well, let's say a, an old game is a, is a great example, right? Because the thing about UX is, dude, it's evolving every single day. 
we have new input mechanisms, we have new accessibility considerations, we've got displays that are in so many different aspect ratios, we've got multi-display, we've got so many considerations when it comes to how people play games, how they experience, how they interact with a product, the input mechanisms, stuff like that, that if you take, if you look at an old game, Right. And I actually say like, you know, pick like an RPG, something with like a meaty screen, a screen that has a lot of information on it. Uh, I mean, hell. Final Fantasy VII or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I actually think that that a lot of the design was pretty good considering the low resolution. Like that that's another thing, too, is like, crap, like, you know, they have such low resolution to work with and so much text that they used abbreviation, they truncated strings, they had a lot of subscreens and pop-ups, right? They had a lot of solutions that we can work differently today. And that, that, that's why it's a great exercise. Yeah. Take an old game. I, I would say, you know, pick something in the pre-HD era because HD has allowed right. uh, more pixel density, which means we can display more information on screen. And uh, it, it eliminates some of the solutions that people had to do back then. So I would say, Go back to when they didn't have those affordances and pick a game that you're passionate about and, yeah, recreate it. Solve the problem your way. Solve it differently with today's technology and today's methodology. Uh, also, another another great exercise, um, take a game that you love for PC or console and redesign the mobile screen. How does this work without, you know, uh, physical controls, right? How can you make the screen yeah. navigate? How, how do you how do you uh, break the information apart into submenus? What happens when you tap and hold on something? Like, what does that look like? You know, uh, just seeing right. how delicious it feels to play like Hearthstone on an iPhone. I, I spent most of my time playing Hearthstone has been on mobile devices, and I never would have expected yeah. that just because it's so information dense. But they made it work. You know, yeah. and that's just a great case yeah. study in how you can take something that is very like, ma- like almost requires a mouse or some physical input yeah. to play, and see how they solve the problem. You can get a lot of learning from that. But yeah, take take an old screen, recreate it, make it yours. It's a great exercise. You're going to walk away learning a lot. But but really, I think the thing that's going to stick with you is the appreciation for how much work that goes into these things you know the best ux is one you don't notice right um mm-hmm. but it does it takes a lot of work to solve problems in a way that people didn't even realize they were there you know what i mean yeah and that that's yeah. really the goal i think it's UX. like it's yeah yeah i think it's even like you say there's the behind the scenes stuff that you never think about and i know when i got the chance to visit blizzard in 2019 when i was in la you know jeremy who is the outsource manager for hearthstone he took me around the whole kind of hearthstone layout and how they they visualize stuff and he was actually showing me like really early because the, the blizzard museum at the time was hosting hearthstone stuff because they change every so often and he was showing like all the concepts and they taught me through like the thought process and even the fact that like a simple animation like you know when you beat somebody their profile picture or their their hero profile thing like it turns into like it has all to be light things and it explodes into chunks that was concepted really early by somebody just drawing like a frame by frame animation of like the thing together then the cracks appearing then it just breaking into little bits and flying 
Um, and those were things that they had to take into consideration for like, well, how do they know they've beat somebody? Did they just die? Did they flip over? And that was stuff that they had to figure out on a user interface level because they wanted it to be very readable. Like, oh, I've beat this guy. This thing happens. So, yeah, I think that's like you said, when you recreate stuff, you then jump into design problems a bit. Well, well, how does that, is it a color that flashes? Does it glow? Like, how does that work? Stuff you have to figure out every day, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and And again, Things you never would have noticed before, like you said, the glow, the particle effects, the animated feedback, the little – every once in a while, you might see like a little gleam out of the corner of your eye because the game mm-hmm. is reminding you like, hey, this this is an important thing. We're not going to be too pushy about it. But yeah. Every once in a while, you, mm-hmm. we'll remind you, you know, and like little things like that, those are – those aren't happenstance. Those, those don't just happen as a byproduct of a different choice. Like those have to get programmed. Those have to get constructed. You know, someone had to craft that feature. And uh, a lot of times, mm-hmm. um, I, it really, it, it's forgivable. It's definitely forgivable when mm-hmm. it's the player taking that for granted. Mm-hmm. What has been really hard, yeah. especially since I've been, you know, in at. I want to say, I'm, dude, I'm not a UX pioneer in any way, but like being in the UX field before it was really prevalent in, in gaming uh, the way it is today yeah. means that mm-hmm. I've definitely come across people who didn't understand the value of UX. And so, like I said, mm-hmm. the, player, the player taking for granted all that effort to make that experience just pop and be really rewarding, you can forgive a player for not mm-hmm. noticing that or valuing that. Mm-hmm. But when like... Mm-hmm bosses and other teammates mm-hmm. and team members and stuff like think that you're crazy for wanting to have those things in your game because it's going to be mm. a better experience right because they don't value or they don't understand the value like that is one of the biggest frustrations and luckily that's a frustration i do not experience anymore that that, that was only i think present at a time when ux was not a necessity in this industry mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think also people get caught up in their jobs and their jobs being their whole identity. And I think what I loved about you in particular was like, yeah, you do UX, UI, and you have this part of the team where, you know, you're doing a job that isn't like, you say, like the rock star stuff, the cover art, the splash art. But then outside of your work, you know, you make games, you do covers and different stuff like with superheroes, and you still draw and illustrate. Like, you know, for me, I was always like, oh, if, if I do, for instance, if I do UX, UI, oh, that's like you said, that stops me doing the splash art, that stops me. But then, you know, I know people who have walked into a job as an artist in one area, then moved or changed careers or done something different. Like, the great thing about this industry, I think, is that, like, if you want to move and you want to change up what you're doing, then as long as you're dedicated to the craft and you can do it, then you'll always have those opportunities to move. Like, And then also, if you just want to do UX and you want to do that stuff from your day-to-day job, you can do stuff at night. You can make your own comics. You know, like Trent, you talked about, like Trent is a, an amazing comic artist and somebody I really love. And he, you know, makes video games on the side and comics and doesn't get paid like the same wage he does for like working for Riot or Blizzard. But he doesn't care. Like he does it because he loves it. He does it because it gives him fulfillment outside of his work. And I think that's what I think is great about you is that you don't let your creativity end at your job. You do things outside of that that refill your bar to go back into that. Yeah, it's it's it is great too. And you know, I don't I don't really do UI on the side. I do other things that I don't do at the day job. So it's a really complementary like schedule, right? Of 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 kind of creativity and 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 um, 
kind of refilling the batteries and stuff. I also wonder if, if yeah. you know, some folks have to get to the peak of the mountain first before mm-hmm. they start to realize that it's, it's, it's become unimportant to them. Because now at the, at the top of the mountain, when you get to that riot or the, the blizzard mm-hmm. or whatever, you're at the top of the mountain. And now you have this vantage point over everything that's going on. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't, re- it doesn't feel as rewarding as what it felt like, like at, being at the top of the mountain alone versus being down in the village with the people, right. Uh, in the peasants, right. Like it's, it, it's, it's, it's often more fun. It's often more fun to, you know, do work that, that pleases you versus work that uh, mm-hmm. again, like feeds into this identity you've created for yourself, which I mean, dude, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not, dude. I don't have it all put together. You know what I mean? Like I struggle with yeah. stuff all the time. Um, and, and, yeah. and I love, I love where I'm at and I could definitely see myself just being at airship forever, you know? Um, yeah. But there's still plenty of times when I'm like, like, is that it? Is, is this it? Is this, is this, is this all I'm going to accomplish? I'm like, no. Cause that, I mean, airship itself is still growing. I mean, we still have tons, there's still tons to yeah. do at airship as, as a company and as an individual, yeah, yeah. but you know, airship is yeah. a great place. They value our free time too. And they, they, they mm-hmm. let us do our side projects and stuff. And so, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is kind of a cherry situation where it's like, you know, you have something that's really nice and steady, something that's not even just steady, it's growing, you know, like, you know, we're on the upswing mm-hmm. right now. And uh, while also being able to have enough energy and time to explore other creative endeavors, like, I mean, there's, there's no better place I can imagine and just to put a, a, a point on it, that is not at all what I set out to do when I first started in college or whatever. Like it, it was just one domino after the other that just fell. And sometimes I try to, 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 to steer the ship. Other times I kind of just let things happen. And uh, I'm getting better about saying no. I used to never say no. I, used to, I mean, part, part of why I have a big body of work is because I say, I say yes to everything because uh, mm. it definitely during that period when I wasn't doing art full time, uh, or, or something artistic full time, uh, I just had this desperation to do something creative. And so I would just say, yeah, like a, going back to like the law firm logo, right? I, I haven't done a law firm logo, but I've definitely done logos for like housing developments, you know, things that are like the furthest right. thing from, from entertainment. Uh, but I could use that yeah. school, that skill set on something that had a product, you know, and, and I love creating products right but um yeah yeah just having that desperation to do stuff and then now it's like you know i i i you can get a little bit more selective you know with what you work on Mm -hmm. because it isn't about prestige uh and a lot of times it's Mm -hmm. not i mean the money is not the motivator um I'm in a very fortunate position where like, it's not, it's not like I'm grinding to make, to, to pay the bills. It's more like I, I get to choose the things that are interesting and, and, and where that takes me is a place that is unexpected, right? I'm working on, Mm -hmm. I'm working on a logo right now that is very different from any logo I've ever made. And it's for, it's for a game studio. That's got a very different vibe from any of the game studios mm-hmm. I've ever worked for, just a little indie studio. Yeah. Um, and it's mm-hmm. getting me out of my comfort zone and it's getting me to do things that like I would not normally do. And it's not a big company. It's not prestigious. I'm not getting any cool points for, for doing this, but I'm doing it because it's personally interesting. And I like that I can make that choice now. Like I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable enough to say no to the big name thing that is going to be a nightmare to work on. And I'm saying yes to the thing that I mm. am going to get personally fulfilled from. 
So I think that that's very, very important um, to get to that place where you don't feel like if you're not succeeding at X, Y, and Z, you're just not happy. I mean, um, I can't imagine I'll stay here forever. You know, I'm sure at some point I'll get uh, a wild hair about some new crazy goal that's going to make me a a mess again. But Mm -hmm. right now things are pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I think that's a a good point to end on, Billy. And and like you said, we can always come back to other subjects later down the line. But yeah, I think it's been a a good dive into everything that we kind of set out to do. We talked about UX, we talked about kind of dreams and hopes and, and stabilizing yourself in the industry. And I think there's there's a lot to unpack there, um, especially two plus hours. Like I think it's it's, it's a lot <laughs> for people to take in. But if you're still here, thanks very much for sticking out, guys. I'm I'm sure Billy yes. appreciates it. I definitely do. Yes, so, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, so yeah, just to say thanks to Billy. Thank you for coming on and giving up your time. It was a, a real pleasure to talk to you. I hope uh, you enjoyed thank it. You. Thank you, Gordon. I, I I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, that's and- awesome. And also, I mean, whether we record it or not, call me up anytime. I, I, I love to, to celebrate other people's accomplishments. And I, I want to keep hearing about what you're working on in your development, because um, you sound like you're you sound like you're building a really cool story right now. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm glad to have yeah. been a little part of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Billy. Um, yeah, if, if you guys have any questions for Billy um, about UX, UI or even just the industry in general, um, You'll find all his links below. I'll make sure to leave them all and, and you guys can, can reach out. Um, of course, he is a very busy man, so he doesn't get back to you straight away. Just have patience, but I'm sure he will try to uh, to answer any questions you have. Uh, and also check out Airship, of course, who Billy works for. They make some awesome games right now. Um, they just announced their race, uh, most recent game with Riot um, and that whole world as well. So that's going to be super exciting whenever that gets, that gets more stuff revealed. But... Um, but yeah, Airship do awesome stuff. They've already got Darksiders out. They've already got Battle Chasers. So there's a body of work there. Um, if you want to see Billy's stuff in the field and in and, and the, the real life situation, there's plenty there to go look at. And of course, his art station, which I'll leave below as well. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, thanks again for tuning in. If you want to check out anything more, we're on uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, um, everything really, including YouTube, where we have the video version of this if you're listening elsewhere and uh yeah check those out there um but again thanks to you guys for listening thanks to billy and uh we'll see you in the next episode bye guys